You look like hell. When's the last time you slept? Vesper's boyfriend, Yusuf Kabira, the one who was abducted in Morocco, the one she was trying to save. His body was washed up on a beach in Ibiza. We're meant to believe the fish did that to his face. His wallet and ID were in his pocket. Oh, that's convenient. Quite. Which is why I did a DNA check on a lock of his hair found in Vesper's apartment. It's not him. A lock of his hair? I wouldn't have thought Vesper the sentimental type. Well, we never really know anyone, do we? But I do need to know, Bond. I need to know that I can trust you. And you don't? Well, it'd be a pretty cold bastard who didn't want revenge for the death of someone he loved. You don't have to worry about me. I'm not going to go chasing him. It's not important. And neither was she. Do you expect me to talk? Welcome to episode 33 of Do You to Talk? My name is Becca, I'm your host, and as always, I'm joined by the amazing Chris and Dave. How are you? Hello. Uh, hi, um, yeah, we're okay, thank you. Good, good. Anyway, this time we're talking about Quantum of Solace. No, not Question of Sport, or not Quantum of Solace, but the oddly named Bond movie. Starring Daniel Craig, Olga Korolenko, Matthew Elmerich, Gemma Arterton, Giancarlo Giannini, Judi Dench, and introducing Rory Kinnear. With a score by David Arnold and the script by Paul Haggis, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, directed by Mark Forster and released in 2008. So, what do we reckon to Quantum of Solace? Dave, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm happy to go first. The thing with Quantum of Solace for me is it's probably the most um, transformed film in in my mind of the entire series. In that I, I go and see a Bond film, I enjoy it, I don't enjoy it, whatever. My reaction, and I tend to kind of stay there. It might get better, it might get worse. Quantum of Solace is a really odd one because it's it's the worst experience I've ever had at the cinema with a Bond film. I went in with my father and some other people. My father really enjoyed Casino Royale. He wasn't a Bond fan, um, but he really liked Casino Royale. So we went in to watch its sequel. The reviews were okay. They weren't great. But I was really looking forward to this. And then I went through the film, struggling to follow what was happening. The camera was just moving ridiculously quickly. A lot of it made absolutely no narrative sense at all. Um, it strangely dragged for what is the shortest Bond film of, of all of them. And when I left, I was kind of glad it was over. And a few months later, I watched it on a DVD and thought much the same. And then maybe about six months after that, I sat and watched Casino Royale. And as it finished, I threw in Quantum of Solace, and it all clicked. And I, and I now think Quantum of Solace is a flawed Bond film. It reminds me, in some respects, of Never Say Never Again. I think it might be a bit better than Never Say Never Again. But there were things when we looked at that film that we said, that bit doesn't make sense, that bit doesn't make sense. And it was because they were compromising so much on the script. And that comes out in this film. It just seems a little bit made up on the hoof. And a lot of its scenes are not properly planned out. And we'll talk about that as we go through. 
but now I'm looking at uh, a very good Daniel Craig performance. I'm looking at an extremely good supporting cast performance. I'm looking at um, an attractive-looking film when the camera stays still enough. And I'm looking at, although he was supposedly Bond at the end of Casino Royale, and I think this is kind of repetition, his arc in the film and the importance of learning not to kill and the way the film finishes, I actually think a lot more about this than than I once did. And it's going to be a little bit like Tomorrow Never Dies that I don't think I'm going to rank it that high. But the films that it's going to be in the company of, I probably don't enjoy watching as much as this. It, it's something I can put on any time and have a pretty good time with now. Yeah, I honestly, I really enjoyed um, Quantum Solace. Uh, I, 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 I think I experienced the same sort of thing that people felt walking out in the cinema, which was like you were kind of walking out going, "Yeah, not as good as Casino, was it?" But yeah, and yeah, I kind of liked it, and and to be honest, I I still do like it. I think it's a good continuation of the of the create from Casino Royale. I, you know, I, I kind of prefer the direction of this, even though this is a weaker film to Casino Royale, to what goes on in Skyfall and Spectre. To be perfectly honest, I think uh, the the storyline is uh, okay. It is kind of there's not much in it, but it's very punchy and it's very short. It's actually. I was actually quite surprised. There's a lot of action in it. It's quite well paced, I thought. Um, uh, the editing, I do not pick up on things like that, so I will refer to Dave when saying it's shockingly edited because I'm, I think I'm blind to to those sort of things. You know, let, we'll talk about, Chris. We'll talk about it as we go through because we'll get to certain scenes. Yeah, but I, yeah. however, I did pick up on the on the scene you mentioned with uh, Judy Dench. You think, oh, she looks like she's been shot, but they don't really establish that. Um, so yeah, I, I will. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll agree with you on that, um, but I generally I thought it looked great. You know, I, 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 I like I liked Craig as Bond. I like still like his performance. He carries me through it and has got quite few action beats. Uh, I liked how the story progresses. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm still quite a big fan of uh, Quantum. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a defender of it in a manner of speaking. Uh, Becca, what do you think? Um, yeah, when I, I remember going to see this when it first came out, um, I was lucky enough to um, attend the premiere, and I just I remember coming out of it thinking you're a fixture at premieres. You're at all of them, aren't you? No, I I think I can't remember now. Casino uh, Royale. I think I went to I think I went to see it normally, and then this was the first bomb premiere that I went to, okay. and then I went to the press screening of Skyfall when I was doing my online blogging, and then just the premiere. So I'm going mm-hmm. alternating. So anyway, sorry, you went to the anyway, premiere for this. Yeah, no, I just because it was, it was hype, you know, it was the event, movie event of the year for me. Um, but I just came out thinking, nah, mm, you know, not not um, not 100% with it. But I think, as you were saying, Dave, it works better if you kind of, if you watch Casino Royale and then watch Quantum directly afterwards. The two just, it makes more sense, you know, rather having a gap between them. Um, but yeah, the editing is a bit of a problem for me. It's a bit too, a bit too frenetic and... I kind of I need to be able to understand what's going on, and yeah, I struggle with it as well. Um, and we're not, Becca. I think you'd agree. We're not talking about fast editing here. You know, I mean, we are all knocking on in our different to 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 a greater or lesser degree. But it ain't three old farts going. Well, we can't stand action cinema. It, no, it, it is quite sim- choppy. It is simply. It isn't just that it's choppy. It's that there aren't even establishing shots. This film eschews establishing shots entirely, and. So there are sequences in the film that we'll get to 
where literally they make no sense. Now, when you watch it two or three times and start to piece together what happened, and you're not trying to work it out as you go along watching it, and it's on a smaller screen than the cinema, suddenly you can start ignoring this stuff and enjoying it. But it totally trips over this stuff on first viewing. Yeah, I remember like going going into that first um, the car chase off um, along by Lake Como there. It's just um, Lake Garda even. Um, it just like going out of that and going into the title sequence. I was just it was so jarring to me, and I was like, "What the hell have I just watched?" You know, I needed to kind of catch my breath at the end of it, which is good because it immediately grabs your attention. But you're just like. What the hell's going on? You I, know, who's one, was, who's one shooting at? What the hell? You know. I was still kind of miffed that we didn't open with a gun battle. I'll be like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> But, you know, I, I, liked, I liked how it opens, though. I do like the whole sort of, you know, drifting across the, the water, like, towards the bridge, and you see, like... There's no reason that couldn't have come out of a gun barrel, though. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think you shared a video uh, to me, Dave, that uh, the guy basically um, explained how that seemed kind of pointless. You could have had the uh, title sequence, the, the opening sequence, uh, the, the, the scene straight afterwards, with, like, start, start with um, questioning uh, Mr. White, and then that whole chase scene could have been the title sequence, uh, which is a fair point, because <laughs> it is quite a, a brief car chase, it being, but I do like it. It's very quick, and it's very kind of, like sort of harsh and rugged you know but i you know i i, I enjoy it anyway so yeah you know, it makes sense to me now i mean we're eight years on from this film hmm. and i watch it now and i tell you what it's taken until this year to work out how he loses the door to his car <laughs> i get it now i know i can see exactly yeah. when it happens. well that bit of metal sticks out of the of the truck yeah but i, I didn't get that for years really it's too quick really i didn't get it I, I, I saw it first time but uh, no it's not me kind of going Oh, come on, Dave. No, but, it's you. It's you going. I'm fucking brilliant. No, 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 no. I, I just, I just, I, I never had. I think it's probably the thing. I never had a problem with the action. I never had a problem with establishing. Maybe I'm just like. Yeah. Okay. We'll of... get it. The car chase wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it's to come. Yeah. The car chase now plays no problem at all. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's fine. But it's just, I mean, that was one of the main criticisms. Um, of the film when it came out, wasn't it? The kind of the, the very much like born infused, um, I don't know, what, what was it called? Cheeky Cam, that was it. <laughs> yeah, and and again, pitching forward, we'll come to scenes that do look very born like. I mean, there's been talk of the, of the born influence all the way through the Daniel Craig era, and apart from the sort of changing of tone, not really, it hasn't really bothered me, and I haven't felt like this was a rip off. But there are sequences in this film where you just go, well, that is just born. Like, like which ones? Like the fight in the in the hotel and the fight in the hotel and the roof te- rooftop chases, the, of which there's a couple of them. They are very, very born ultimatum, which was the previous year and about eighteen months before the release of this. And even the way Craig chased uh, dresses when he gets to the hotel to meet Mister Slate, or or actually to oppose as Mister Slate. That is very Matt Damon in terms of the way he's dressed. Um, overall, this this feels like a Bond film to me. It does. I, I don't really see the complaints up from the whole piece. But from scene to scene, I feel like they tried something here that doesn't quite work. Bond doesn't work because of Shaky Cam. Mm. And if it's Shaky Cam does work, which is a matter of opinion... It doesn't work just because they're shaking the camera around. So ludicrously quick cuts 
I mean, as I say, we're, we're still talking pre-title. When we come out of the title sequence, I'll say a little bit more about the editing of the film. But certainly, the car chase, I don't have a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not really much to say. It's a very, it's over before you even starts, but it's just very like fast, very sort of punchy. It's like it's like a, it's like it's like fashion seatbelts. Here we go, kind of opening. Um, so yeah, as, as an opening scene, I like it. Are we talking about the film sequentially already? Like, <laughs> or I tell you what, let's discuss this film <laughs> sequentially in a sequential um, fashion. Yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, so we have the, the the car trace, and then we open with uh, not uh, Daniel Kleinman. <laughs> now I no. can't figure this out for the life of me. It's a, you know you have got somebody on staff effectively I mean I don't know what his contractual arrangements are but Daniel Kleinman has never been unavailable because he's doing something else Uh, Daniel Kleinman you've got on staff and I just think he is so much better than what Maurice Binder did although he's clearly influenced by Maurice Binder and every time out pretty much he produces a really interesting really thematically appropriate opening sequence and you've hired this director and let him bring his own people on. And I just think, like, you've got Mozart on staff, but you're going to hire fucking Liberace? <laughs> it, it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? You have got somebody who is fucking bordering on genius with these things. And you've got him bringing his own team in to produce something that kind of looks like a Bond opening sequence, albeit with entirely the wrong fonts for everything. Um, and there's no thematic richness to it at all. It's they've just gone sand and women. That's it. <laughs> and fire and a little bit of oil. And Bond um... walking around with a gun. I mean, I, I, I do think that watching it, it did seem more like Bond's on the hunt seems to be the theme. Like he's searching for something, and he's got his uh, finger on the trigger. So he's like, F-. I mean, yeah, it, 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 you know, that's uh, that's really because I, I just I always read it as. Uh, the script was in no condition at the point where they had to design this, I was assuming. And they know, because in the original script, all the stuff in sand should have been in snow. And it was Mark Forster's decision to change that. And I just feel like Mark Forster's come on board and he's gone, yeah, we, we're going to have some desert sequences. And that's all they know. That's all that's informed this sequence at all. Yeah. And when you think Casino Royale is a wonderful opening sequence and Skyfall, a matter of taste, but very, very thematically rich, this is such a weak link. I, you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, what's what I like about Danny Kleinman's uh, stuff, that it actually sort of echoes what, what's the theme of the film, what's going on in the film. Like, the story to Amanda uh, and it kind of like, starts with it kind of blends into like the end of the opening sequence and goes and goes straight into the, the beginning. This one kind of doesn't. It kind of opens up awkward with um, Daniel Craig going like, "Yo, you can get out now." And it's like, or something, yeah. yeah. And it's like, and it, and it's sort of meant to play as if it's like, "Oh, that's a that's a quip." And it's like, "Well, no, it's not." And then it just kind of cuts to what you see, and it's just. I, I've actually read people say, "Oh, I love that the way he says time to get out." Yeah. Really? Why? What? Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay, but it's like I you, mean, I don't. You, I don't you, get the feel, you get the feeling you should like. Okay, here's where you should, you should say something fairly humorous, you know, or something. You know, you feel like that's the way it plays out, but it just doesn't. You know, I don't know what it is. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just like, you know, people just fill in the blanks, like, sort of, ah, oh, it's meant to be off here. Ah. I don't know. It, 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 is, it is a lot weaker than the three sequences that have been around it. And I think it's weaker than any of the Bros- uh, Brosnan sequences as well. So basically, I would put all of the Daniel Kleinman sequences and a few of the Maurice Binder ones above this. And I just think that was totally unnecessary. Now, if you'd given it to Daniel Kleinman, you might have been in a situation where it's rushed. He might just have been told, well, sand, that's it. But I just think he would have done something a little bit more visually interesting than this. Yeah, it, it might have been due to the fact that because the, the production of this was rushed, wasn't it? So yes, the and yeah, right strike. strike. Mm. Yeah, so, they were all on the strike. That's my excuse. So maybe he didn't, for whatever reason, he wasn't available or he didn't have enough time. And and and, and these guys, whoever they are, they well, Mark Forster's last film before this, it might have been the Kite Runner actually, but he he directed Stranger Than Fiction, and if you go and watch Stranger Than Fiction's opening credits. Um, that they were done by MK12 and it was Mark Forster who said I want to bring them on to do this so they, I, I mean I, you know somebody might tell me Daniel Kleinman wasn't available he said no there was an argument I don't know but he's done every other film since 1995 and the one film that a director said I want to bring my own people on he didn't do so it, it it's always stri- struck me that um, he got his way simple as that yeah. And it was never worth it for what we got. Now, it's not embarrassingly poor. Uh, it's not like a view to a kill or something. It's watchable enough. But when you have someone with Daniel Kleiman's talent and drop him in order to get this, it was never worth it. No. And I, also, I don't think the, the song resonates with a lot of people as well. A lot of people don't really dislike the, the theme for this. Which I think helps their dislike for the film. I think you know it's another way to die. I, yeah, it's like I like Jack White and I like Alicia Keys, but not together. It's, I don't know why. It's a very odd pairing for me because they come from I don't know some very wouldn't, different genres, I suppose. What well, comes out of? Wouldn't it be better same, if it, if it was just Jack White? Yeah, if they picked one or the other. But yeah, to have them both is a bit of an odd pairing. But um, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I think that highlights what we've said in the past about Bond films being something all of their own. Because if you said to me, music generally, pick, I'd pick Jack White. But if you said Bond theme, I'd pick Alicia Keys. Yeah. Yeah. Just let let her work with David Arnold and let's see what they come out with. We've talked about this in the past. Um, This was... David Arnold had, had worked with Shirley Bassey and they created a song called No Good About Goodbye, which... Amongst the three of us, we have very differing views on, but certainly lyrically, it suits where Bond is at the start of this film. And when I listen to that and then listen to what we actually got, which is kind of a bit of a tuneless nothing, I kind of wish we'd ended up with the Shirley Bassey song. Um, but again, it's just like a lot of these this this film. It's not offensive. It's just not that good. I yeah I yeah I'm I I quite like well I say I like it I find it okay you know um, I think this major downhaul I think is really kind of where it gets to the after the second chorus where it just goes into the oh which is really bad yeah, yeah. and that, yeah. I think that's what kind of goes oh god really I think apart from that it it kind of feels like uh, like I'll listen to uh, the last song by Chris Cornell and just kind of okay well we'll do kind of something. 
vaguely similar, you know, with kind of like it's more of a crunchier rock beat, you know, and I kind of, and I kind of like the you know the you know the Jack White kind of uh, bass guitar riff that it has, you know, it's it's it feels kind of it, you know it sounds right to me. I think, but yeah, I think what I would say in its defence, and and this isn't to say I think it's good because it isn't, but if you're going to experiment, you'll get it wrong sometimes. You know, for every two thousand and one, there's a Zardoz, mm. and and I, and I, and I think um, the same is true of of this. They decided to do a duet. That's not usual. They tried to put together two different, diff- very different people. That's not usual. Um, and what they've ended up with doesn't really work. But like, fair play, they had a try. Yeah. I suppose it's that. What do you think, Becca? You uh, you not a fan or? Yeah, it's a bit middle of the road for me. I, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it either. It's, it's okay. It's forgettable. Um, but what I like, to, what I like you to do, listeners, I like to direct you towards cue the music. Um, I keep giving them a plug. But, um, what I like to do, if I can, I insert a little bit of a clip um, of their cover of this song because it has much more energy. It's got it's much more like rockier kind of okay. um, sound to it. Okay. Uh, for those of you listening on YouTube, I, I cannot. Um, confirm this will definitely be there because copyright rules and all the rest of it but for those of you listening through any other format and perhaps YouTube here's a little clip of Cue the Music's version of Another Way to Die do is we'll, when this um, episode goes out um, or even before then what we'll do is we'll add a link to the because their video is available on YouTube um, and you can see it um, we'll add a link to them but it's just it's so much energy so much more verve to it and it's much better than, than the original version 100% yeah I mean I, I haven't heard that yet so you'll be hearing it at the same time as me sort of listeners really <laughs> um, it's really I, I promise it's so, it's so much better it's just the song is not inherently bad the voices just don't suit it and they don't gel together particularly well I think that's what it is it's, it's because mm. they don't it's not I don't know I find it quite difficult to, to describe because it's yeah, it's, it's not your typical sort of classical sort of thing but it's two artists that wouldn't usually be seen together um, I've got no problem with that but it's just they don't gel 
there's no there's no yeah. really there's no real chemistry there unfortunately for me because of that um i, I guess yeah, with um jack white's kind of like sparseness because he's quite sort of literally just drums guitar yeah with uh, the white stripes like, yeah, it's literally it, it's very pared down wasn't it yeah so it doesn't sound it doesn't have that big sound that uh, a bomb thing normally has uh so i think that's helps towards the negativity towards it um but, yeah. I, don't, I don't really doubt either writers. You know, they're, they're, as far as their talent is concerned, I don't doubt their talent. But it's just the two of them have very different sounds, and mm. the, the two don't mash up well. Yeah, I mean, I have less of a problem with it than most people. But yeah, there you are. But the scene we come out to, I thought was really promising to start with. Yeah. Bond looks like utter shit, and he's got they've got White uh, shot in the leg, uh, on a drip, ready to be questioned. All guns on him. We're in Siena, Italy, which is really very pretty. It looks uh, nice. The, um, when they introduce the location, um, this is quite funny because a friend of mine pointed this out to me. Because um, obviously they they telegraph each location. It looks like it should be on a wine list or something. With <laughs> <laughs> fancy typeface used. I guess so. I, I, I found that quite jarring because it wasn't very Bondy. And I mean, I said that during the. I felt that about the opening credit sequence. Well, it's not a. It, it isn't a deal breaker because. You can vary these things, and I would get used to it. But a lot of the stuff in this seemed to be drawing attention to itself. But yeah, we are in Siena, uh, which is quite a pretty town in Italy, and they are ready to question Mister White. Bond looks like shit, and pretty much tells him he looks like shit. And yeah. this is all kind of promise. They're out in the field. We don't know where this is going. And they're flying by the seat of their pants. We're just past the end of Casino Royale, although he's had time to change suit. And <laughs> well, because he, he was wearing a three-piece blue suit at the end of Casino Royale, but we'll skip. Always had a quick change along the way. <laughs> and he's had another car delivered. Um, but okay, it's just <laughs> past the end of Casino Royale, and we're in uncharted territory. There, there's never been a sequel before. There have been films uh, referencing previous films. I mean, from Russia with Love, the film version, they want revenge for what he did to Doctor No. Yeah, I mean, I'd argue that from uh, Russia with Love is a sequel because it is it does follow it does follow like a sequel. Okay, I think I would agree, Chris. When they said it's the yeah. first and only sequel, they're wrong, but it probably is the first and only continuation. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly in Craig Zero. I think maybe for Bond because. Uh, I, I suppose in For Russia Love, it's more of the consequence of what, what Bond did. So it's more like the, you know, Spectre trying to get Bond in that film. You know, it's what that feels more of a sequel, whereas Bond's still the same guy that he was in Doctor No. Uh, this one's more of a continuation for his, his storyline um, as Bond. So I suppose in that context, yes, this is the first Bond sequel. I'm using quotation marks, but yes. But I, I think the problem I've got with this like a lot of this film, it's when the action kicks off. The setup we've got here, and Bond uh, quietly pocketing a picture of Vesper. I, I love, I love that little which thing. I love. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think it just sums up Craig's performance as Bond. It's just, it's, it kind of reminds me of Connery in the kind of like devil maker, don't give a shit, but kind of slick with it. You know, he's going to do, he's do what he wants. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's kind of like this, do it in his own way. He's kind of like this throughout the film uh, about about this film. I think you know is this kind of like I'm just hey, I'm just going with the flow, uh, just just seeing what happens. You know, just flying off the seat of my pants. Uh, just you know, kind of like Connery was in Doctor No. You know, just like 
walking around, just walking into stuff, sort of like thinking on his feet, you know, just, you know, or, or what also reminds me of is um, uh, You Only Live Twice, where he kind of pretends to be like one of the guys. He, he yeah, know where it's going. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that kind yeah. of thing where, he just, where he's just actually thinking, oh, well, I'll see where it takes me. Oh, yeah, and just, I, you know, I love that. I wish I saw more of that in the Spectre and, and Skyfall, but, you know. Well, I know what, I know what you mean about direction, because at this point, we find out that Judy Dench is M's bodyguard, who's, who's been in the service for, I think it's eight years, and her personal bodyguard for five, something like that, is a member of Quantum. M, uh, again, I don't think we've got the name at this point, but we're hearing Mr. White saying, we have people everywhere. Mm. Isn't that right? And he starts firing a gun, and from then on, it's a fucking mess. Because the concept's great, but you've got... They fire a gun at the... At, he fires a gun at what turns out to be, on several rewatches, the stand to the drip. But Judy Dench is standing right next to it. It's a split-second shot of the bullet hitting that, and she falls over. So it looks like she's been shot. Uh, you, you've got no idea who's where. And then he takes off and Bond chases him. But they're dressed virtually identically, and they're kind of both a bit grimy as well. So when they end up in that in that room going around on the ropes, the the cuts are so quick that I can't tell you from moment to moment which one the camera's on. And it's an utter mess. And we keep cutting back and forth to this is it a horse race or the running of the bulls, whatever it is. Oh the penny, no yeah. That's it reason at all. And listeners, if you go to a site called Haphazard Stuff, I think it's haphazardstuff.com, they've got uh, uh, videos on this, and he breaks down this sequence where um, the guy's running through the crowd with Bond chasing him, and there's no continuity from one shot to the next. People get shot, but when they're shot, they're, they're out of frame. So when they collapse, they're in frame, but you don't know what's happened. Bond's relative distance to them changes from shot to shot. And it's a utter mess, and no one's thought it through, and they've just sort of shoved it up on the screen. And it was the first time I thought, we've got a problem here. This film's kind of pretty, and the uh, uh, concept is really intriguing, but the direction and editing have just fucked this scene completely. Mm, I, yeah, I... Yeah, uh, maybe it's the action kid in me. I don't have I, again. I don't have a problem with it. But then again, I'm blind to editing. That's, that's going to be my quote for this episode. I'm blind. <laughs> I'm blind to editing. If but, I, but, I, but I see your point, yeah, Dave. Chris, if you're fine, if you're fine with, he fires a gun and it triggers a chase and it ends with Bond shooting him. If you're happy that from moment to moment in between you've got no idea what the fuck's going on, <laughs> then fine. Because, but I mean, honestly, at moment to moment, if I freeze framed it. And it was a little bit juddery, so you couldn't see the face per se, because obviously if it was Daniel Craig, you'd go, well, that's Bond, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But if I freeze-framed it and said, which one's that, you wouldn't know. From from moment to moment in that sequence, and it's just... I understand that editing's got quicker. I mean, he makes the point on this video that um, Dr. No has an average shot length of, I think he says 6.2 seconds. And this is very unscientific, which he admits. And I think he said something like the Bourne identity or supremacy, one of the two, was 2.8 seconds and ultimatum was 2.4. And this was like two seconds. 
it was just ridiculously um, edited. It was over-edited. And when you look at Casino Royale and you think of like the sequence with the crane and, and the parkour, plenty of establishing shots, and it didn't lack for energy or kineticism. Cutting every split second and not letting the camera settle on anything doesn't make it exciting. It just makes it confusing. Mm. Yeah, no. Like, what do you think? Did, did you have problems with this? Um, I did, actually. Yeah, I kind of... I... <laughs> I'm a bit special. I kind of struggle to follow what's going on generally. Um, but yeah, this film, it, it didn't really help for me. I mean, you know, you've got the sort of beginning and the end parts, but what's in between is just a muddle. Um, but for me, generally, this the chase scene between Bond and Mitchell, I think... If, I, I would like to re-edit this film and have, have the sequences and, you know, the scenes shot in a different, in a different sequence. Um, just because I think it'll, it'll make it flow a lot easier. But no, I, I, I really struggled to kind of see what was going on in the first half of this film, just because the editing and the chase sequences were so choppy, really. Um, and this is where rewatches help, because I know where yeah. the scene starts. I know where the scene ends. I've now got a rough idea of what happens in between. So it doesn't offend me when I watch it now. So Quantum of Solace is not remotely damaged in that sequence by its editing. But at the time when I went to the cinema, and it's on a ridiculously big screen as well, it's like, yeah. I've got no idea what's happening here. And then it ends with Bond turning on that fucking rope, which was in all the trailers. And he shoots him and you go, oh, well, Bond's won then. Brilliant. <laughs> Everything in between was a complete waste of fucking time. So I kind of think if they had the title sequence there at this point, after you kind of see Bond, Bond shooting up, and he's obviously shot Mitchell, I think that would have been a great place to have the title sequence, I think. Would you have kept the pre-title we've got? Mm, I would have edited it very differently. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you just hired Daniel Kleiman to. <laughs> um, oh, no, we, 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 had, we had to see how how you know how Bond gets Mr. White from boot of his car up to the you know interrogation chamber. So, but I don't know. But we we could just we could just have Bond driving into Siena, couldn't we? It wouldn't be very interesting. It though, could, would it? Yeah, no, yeah. but it could it could start with him driving into Siena, and it's just Bond turning up, and you think, all right, well he's about to be briefed in the field, mm. and then he opens the boot, and it's. There Mr. He is. White's there, and you go, "Oh, this is a direct continuation." Okay, mm, and then he yeah, goes, he way. goes, he goes to um, get like um, interrogated, and it ends in the chase, and then goes to there. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, I mean, as I said, there's no reason for that uh, car chase at the beginning. You know, I mean, it, for story-wise, it doesn't need to be there. Uh, mm. It's only there. I mean, it's only there to kind of have like an action set piece, really. Um, but you know, I, I I suppose in terms of how I felt about the action scene, I liked it in its concept. You know, I, I like a good old foot chase. I like I like the the dustiness, the ruggedness, like how seeing Bond looking like shit and uh, and he does it like crap, doesn't he? Yeah, and you know, <laughs> the, and you know, and how it ends on this sort of whole uh, swinging rope business. I thought it was actually quite daring. Uh, I I I guess when it comes to action scenes, and this is probably when it comes to editing, I probably just sit back and kind of like. Look at the big. I don't know. I guess I kind of just like looking. Oh, that's that set piece. Oh, that set piece. Rather than kind of. I don't know. I guess I'm just. I just don't. Uh, I don't never have a problem with editing. But then I'm like that with anything. When most people say the editing was crap, I'm kind of really. I didn't have noticed. So I, mean, I uh, the best the best editing you don't notice, and and yeah, I, exactly. I I would like not to be sat here talking about editing because <laughs> I just think, I just think it sounds a really fucking wanky topic anyway. It's only the fact that 
it actually actively got in the way of me understanding what was happening from the moment Mitchell pulls his gun to the moment Bond shoots him. Mm. Now, after several rewatches and haphazard stuff and other things, I know exactly what's going on. And it so, takes you a couple of times to get into it, it I think, doesn't it? Hence, so. I don't have a problem. But I had a real problem with I this mean, for so long. At least, I mean, at least it's not taken free bad level editing. That that editing, even I noticed, was fucking diabolical. <laughs> uh, if, if anyone has ever seen Taken Free, um, if, yeah, if, if you haven't, don't. Oh, God. Um, yeah, avoid. <laughs> I think yeah. my problem is, right, it, it, you can put it in front of, like, an audience and they might not spot it. But when you think each individual shot has to be physically pieced together, I find it really difficult to believe that somebody didn't notice that shot doesn't tell us anything, or that shot didn't make sense, Mm. or that shot doesn't line up with the one that follows it, or what's happening there, or whose perspective is this from. Um, And it's a real, real problem in this film. And, And we focused a lot on this scene, so I will consciously from now on talk about it a lot less. But I think suffice to say for any of you who've either seen or not seen Quantum of Solace, I think what I'm saying here, although this is one of the worst examples, I feel the same way about the entire film. The whole film has this problem, and it's a problem that goes away the smaller the screen you see it on and the more often you see it, which means Quantum of Solace is ageing quite nicely. It looks okay now, doesn't it? I think... Obviously, the writer strike didn't help as well, but I was reading um, something on the internet somewhere. Um, the one sort of Mark Foster, Mark Foster, kind of you know, making a film and everything, he takes something like sort of fourteen weeks or something. You know, to, he has quite a long time to edit it. Whereas this time, I think his, his team, like Matt, Jesse, um, and crew, I think they had something like like six weeks or eight weeks, something like that. They had very little time to edit edit this film. Um, like, I think that's why obviously yeah. that, that the strike and that you know the consequences that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go too much into history of this film because there's not an oh, awful no. to say. But I will just like give a little bit of background here. Casino Royale came out in uh, November 2006. And this was almost immediately slated for an April 2008 or May, one of the two, but certainly early 2008, the first half of that year. And as I think I've said in previous episodes, that really, really smacks of they're so excited they've got Daniel Craig. Um, Barbara Broccoli chose him before they'd even seen anybody and Casino Royale well we talked about it last week it's so magnificent you can understand that you know they've had four years before that film since the last one and before that they had three years back to the world is not enough and you can think well strike while the iron's hot let's get some more out but 18 months I don't think is realistic now they offered it to Paul Haggis uh, to direct the writer of Casino Royale, co-writer, and he said it's not realistic, it's not going to work, and they were at least six months on from Casino Royale until they were ready to go, so there was a year left at that point. Um, and to cut a long story short, we end up with Mark Forster, and he has this idea. It's another thing discussed on haphazard stuff that he wants to do action sequences set around the four elements of uh, uh, earth, air, fire and water and it's all a bit like nebulous really and they they start rushing to get this done 
but in 2007, and I think it was the autumn, and that's from memory, I think it kicked off around September 2007. Yeah, I think, hit, yeah, I would say that as well. We hit a writer's strike, and it was all to do with um, what writers get from DVDs and so on, the home market, because traditionally writers have got paid and that's it. And they're saying, well, hang on a minute, people are buying the DVDs of the films we wrote in, and streaming and so on in great numbers. And it created a writer's strike. And what it meant was anyone who was uh, designated a writer and in the Writers Guild uh, couldn't perform rewrites. Now, any big budget film lives on their rewrites. They sort of start with a with a, a, a decently mature draft of the script, generally. But it gets rewritten as they go along. Well, I talk about a mature draft of the script. This film was so rushed, they didn't really even have that. They knew it was going to be a sequel. They knew it was going to take up minutes to an hour after Casino Royale. They knew it was going to be some kind of vaguely revenge story. And I think they had some of the major beats, and that was about it. And so we read stories of them making it up on set. And even people like Daniel Craig, who freely admits he's not a writer, though he clearly knows his character, writing dialogue for scenes that are, and they would start days not knowing what they're going to shoot so whilst we can be quite harsh on this film it is a little bit like never say never again you can't be too harsh i mean they were just hamstrung for the beginning mm. yes it's not it's not any fault of the production it's just you know the circumstances that they found themselves in really um mm. and i think i've also you know you can read lots of trivia and stuff on the internet and apparently like the final draft of the script was turned in like two hours prior to the strike and it's like that's how up to the you know, up to the edge that they were, they were working. So, and it's only and, and again, it's only final because time dictates it's final. Mm. Well, the final draft was was put in two hours before. Well, would that have been the final script? Well, exactly, exactly. If they're having to you know rewrite on the hoof, then yeah, clearly not. not. Yeah. Obviously not. No, um, exactly. So yeah. they they did what they could, and 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 the obvious point would be, well, why wouldn't they delay it? Well, if that's Marvel or Lucasfilm or anything that's that's a little bit more entrenched and successful and, and owned by a bigger company, then I might be tempted to agree. But you've got to think that about 18 months after the release of this film, we ended up with a situation where they were in desperate trouble, MGM, ended up in Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and we didn't get another Bond film for four years. So there's certainly a point of, well, if it hadn't come out now, would it have come out at all? And also, um, not only that, they needed the cash injection of this film coming out. So I don't think there was ever talk of a postponement or a cancellation. Yeah, I guess they want to strike while the iron's hot, isn't it? While they got Craig, like, fresh off being lauded as a new Bond, you know. Um I was thinking about this literally today because I rewatched it, and the whole whole idea of trouble productions, and it's it's really only decrement to how the film turns out in the end. I'm pretty sure there've been tons of great films, brilliant films, you know, like films that everyone loves and adores that I probably just was just had a horrific time on set. And, well, and, a, a, and, a very good example, Chris, um, would be the Paul Greengrass Bourne films. Um, they've both started, and I say both because at the time of recording, Jason Bourne isn't out yet. So the two he did in the 2000s, uh, both of them started really kind of without scripts. 
and they were figuring it out as they went along. And Paul Greengrass is very good at that sort of thing anyway. And the end results are terrific. And I also must point out, all Marvel films um, have rewrites, uh, sorry, rewrites, reshoots built into its schedule. They always expect to like figure it out on set and come back to it. So this isn't unique. And we're going to get to Star Trek a little bit later in the year. And I'll talk about this again when we get to the 2009 Star Trek. Because although the end result, I would argue, is better than this, there are points in the film you would say that needs another polish, another pass, and that would have been sorted. This film, but but the difference is, Star Trek 2009 started shooting um, before the writer's strike started. So what they couldn't get was those little tune-ups on set. The Bond film was a lot more truncated in schedule. And the, the, before they started filming, it was underway. Hmm. I think, yeah, and also I think there's a, a flip side to that coin as well. In terms of, if, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of films that go swimmingly well, like on set, and come out and are absolutely terrible. <laughs> or, or just really bad or bland, you know. Uh, so I, th- I think it, it just depends on the end product. I mean, I was watching this and I was thinking about, yeah, you can kind of understand how some parts some parts of it were down to the trouble set, but at, at, at the at the end of the day, I was I was still engrossed and, and enjoyed by it. I couldn't really sort of it didn't really show that much to me. So I was. You know, so it, it was just—it was just like a funny thing, thing that you never really that the idea of like what, what's to blame in terms of a film. I think, I think sometimes making a film is literally just like that. You're figuring out as you go along. It's it, it, it isn't really finished until it's finished. Um, so it's a funny I, thing I, that. So you, yeah, do, you'll do you'll do what you can to make it work. Yeah. Really, you kind of you kind of you have to put up with what you know what you're given. Um, and I think you know with the finished product, it's it's okay. It's you know serviceable. It's enjoyable. It's not the worst Bond film. It's not the worst, you know, movie ever. But I think they, you know, did well considering the difficult circumstances they found themselves yeah. in. Yeah, definitely. I guess my problem is I also think Mark Force. See, if if you settled down the editing and every shot made sense, you'd think, well, it'd be a much better film. Well, yes, it would. But I also felt Mark Forster was trying to t- change too much too quickly. So, for example, in all the films so far, we've had a pretty distinctive office for M. Now, as much as we might prefer the Bernard Lee sort of Robert Brown version, uh, Judy Dench had quite a nice office for, for, for her time with Brosnan as well. Um, that changed, though, didn't it? That changed quite often. Cause I remember, did it? Cause I, it I'm, 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 I don't think it really changed. I mean, the positioning of a desk changed, but... Uh, the Brosnan desk, uh, the Brosnan M office was was much the same in in all of it, but then you get and the end of Casino Royale but as you, well. Yeah, but you didn't really yeah, see different as well, doesn't it? You didn't really see a behind the desk that much, though, did you? It was just more kind of uh, it was mainly Goldeneye, yeah. but you did see yeah, that mainly office Goldeneye, occasionally. Really. But what I'm saying is, you get to this film and suddenly they're on the set of Minority Report. Yeah, it's very sad. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it, exactly, it's that's very what I was thinking crony. when I saw this film. It's very chromey, yeah. a lot more light, but I just kind of felt that. It, I I guess it's the way most some people must feel about License to Kill, that I feel they've taken away some of our like anchors, some of the things that <coughs> our touchstones that bind us to the series have gone. 
See, this is why so, this is that was my argument for not being the massive fan of License to Kill like I, you know, I was, wasn't before, because it was basically it was more of an action. Well, I used to, yeah, kind of saw it as more of an action movie than a Bond movie, if that makes sense. But whereas like here, this is I kind of have the same problem. Um, we'll get to the action later on because there's all kind of four major elements that you would find combined in a Bond movie. But like it doesn't say Bond James Bond, it doesn't order martini, although you heard the recipe, and it's kind of more it's more of like just a, a generic action movie. Um, for that sort of reason, you don't you don't have those really important like Bond elements, I guess. I mean, you've got like yeah, you know, the girls, guns, locale, stuff like that. But the sort of things that we know to be a Bond film don't really come up in this one. You have to really look yeah, for I them. Thought, I thought that helped License to Kill because oh yeah, no, definitely, no, Bond, definitely. I mean, Bond, my, Bond my opinion so, of it has changed normal, since then. So the him, you know, rowing with M didn't have the little things that jar you and go, well, that's not how James Bond's meant to behave. I look at this film. And I don't dislike it at all now, but those little things that might, and it isn't about ordering a martini. A bad, oh, no. film, a bad film is a bad film is a bad film, and a good film, similarly, ordering a martini doesn't change either of those things. No, definitely not. But whilst I don't mind them dropping, dropping some of the tropes, I do think that, like, had we cut to MI6 and it had been an office we recognised, it would ground us much more in this film. But everything just felt so different. We had no gun barrel. We had a very different opening sequence and song. We've suddenly got this whip pan editing style we're not used to in, in Bond at all. And when he heads back to a building we know, none of it looks familiar. No, it's, it's some kind of, I don't know, could be the ship of the, Enterpr- the, the Deck of Enterprise or something like that. It's kind of very scientific and quite cold and quite clinical. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I think the general audiences were kind of like, okay, we've had uh, Casino Royale, which was very vastly different to what we had for before, particularly recently. Um, it was very stripped back, so we didn't have as many as the Bond cliches that we normally get. I think with the sequel, they were kind of like wanting it to kind of like start slipping in a bit more, so they want to see a bit more humour. I think that was one of the major criticisms people came out of Quantum was that, um, you know, I, I, want, I want there to you know be bit more humor you know humor in the bond series now you know um and you know a lot lot sort of things sort of slipping in so i kind of get that the fact they were kind of like still kind of stuck at no this is bonds you know not doing like typical bond film where i think people actually want to see a bit more of that now um i think you know it's like it's like the idea of the fact that oh well james bond's not really james bond we know just yet we thought we thought we established that in the first one I thought, you know, I thought like the end. Of, I thought, <laughs> Been there, casino, done that. Yeah, I thought the end of Casino Rail was kind of like, well, you know, he's, you know, he's 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 James Bond now. You know, he's double The name's Bond, James Bond. That is what you needed yeah. to know. And yeah, then, exactly. And then it, and then like this started. It's like, well, his journey with Vesper hasn't quite finished yet, so he's still, you know, it's like, <sighs> so um, that kind of things. But still, yeah. at least Skyfall won't do anything silly like you know, leave the gun barrel to the end. Yeah. <laughs> or or, for that. or or have him go on the tube and a guy go, Oh, he's keen to get home. He's keen to get home. <laughs> I just you know, there was something very intriguing about this. I mean, some of the bits were a bit odd. I mean, he turns up back in England and he goes to like Mitchell's fl- flat because he meets M there. And it's really council house and weird. But it's odd to see Bond there, but it at it least sells you on the money in your pocket could be something to do with these guys. They are everywhere. 
And that would have been such a wonderful idea for the entire Craig arc. And yeah, here's, here's nothing why I like the the, uh, the this film. And I you know I I think Quantum is a better villainous organization than Spectre turned out to be. Um, well, yeah, that's only because there wasn't really a Spectre, was there? Well, no, but in terms there of... there was in name, but what did we see of it, and what their aims were? Yeah. Well, in, in what in as a quantum or inspector, Spectre. inspector. Well, inspector. exactly. And... Not much to them, really, was it? It was a big bit of a damp squib, to be honest. I mean, that doesn't necessarily say at this point the film's good or bad, but certainly you've called a film Spectre and then showed us none of it, really. I just think, yeah, a bit of a disappointment. I, I just think quantum as a concept for an evil organization at it's that much time, more interesting, isn't it? At that time, and now this time. It makes absolute sense. You know, the idea of a shadowy organisation who is running governments, funding terrorism, just to make just to play off each one each other, to just the sole purpose to fuck shit up and make money, is kind of like, well, yeah, that's kind of how it. I believe it kind of is with a lot of cases, or I, I can kind of believe it. it's a lot more interesting. I, I think if if there was a spectre type thing. That's the kind of shit they would be doing. Well, it's, it's, only, more... it's only an extrapolation of governments are now to some degree run by big business. Mm. Now, I don't mean that literally. I mean, it might be, but I'm not really a conspiracy theorist. But there is no doubt that their obsession is with lobbyists and wealth creators. And big business can shout louder than us. And so business is a very much influenced by... Uh, sorry, a very much an influence on government. So this is only an extrapolation of something we know to be true. Mm-hmm. I, I think it just makes sense as well. I, you know, it, it just you know, I think it's such a good idea to and to kind of like for it to kind of just die out in this film uh, because you know it, because they got the right back to the name. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. They didn't have the rights that, to and the fact um, that spectre or anything like that, did they? So yeah. That and this film isn't as popular as you know, the, the other Craig film, so I, yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't because of Quantum, was yeah, it? Yeah, I know. It was because yeah, of the yeah, nothing to do with them. And the fact that it feels like a coda to Casino Royale. But I kind of feel I, like it's damaged by association. <laughs> if you know what I mean, it's like yeah, uh, it's kind of been smeared. Yeah, isn't let's it? Just well, I mean, for of... a, for a long time, I I thought of this as like half a film, in as much as. Uh, one of the reviews I read before I even went to see the film said it felt like a comic book spin-off at the end of a film that like the film left us here here's what happened next and I kind of agreed with that and so you know when Skyfall came out I almost felt like Craig had done like two and a half I don't feel that way now this is a full Bond film but it is kind of a coda to what came before and a lot of people bear in mind the Bond fan base there's a lot of people who've been around since the beginning there's a lot of people who are not that young now going and watching frames of cinema they can't even follow. It, it, I can see why this film... It didn't struggle. It only did a little bit less than Casino Royale. But at the same time, I can see why it wasn't a critical darling. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Isn't it like the most successful after? Also, you've got like Casino Royale and Spectre and, um, or Skyfall even. Uh, yeah, you've got uh, well in in unadjusted now. You've got Skyfall, Spectre, Casino Royale. This and then Quantum, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a really um, but I mean they do tell as you watch it now and you're not being caught out by the flashy visuals, which I was to start with. I was just like, 
why are we getting this minority report bollocks? Once now I've got <laughs> used to that. Touch screen. And they're telling the story about the money and everything else. And they, they talk about Haiti. Um and Bond goes there. Actually the plot's quite nicely laid out. Yeah. It's all stylistic stuff that hurts it. I mean Bond goes to and again it's a, another one where he just kinda turns up and he's not sure what he's gonna find at all. Yeah, I mean, I was quite surprised how literally he goes like, "Oh well, uh, it's in 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 uh, Haiti," and literally he's literally arriving in here like next scene. And it's like so, it's so punchy. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, to, yeah, he scene he turns up at the hotel and uh, to kind of like that's back- where we get that's where we get the Michael G. Wilson cameo. By the way, he sat reading a newspaper in reception. Oh, I never I never noticed that one. I only noticed it today. Oh, okay, wow. And can oh. you miss it? There yeah. it is. <laughs> um, and yeah, we have a the the Bourne esque fight, which again is kind of brief. I feel like the, it is Bourne esque, but it's so good because Daniel Craig's good at this stuff. It's very. I mean, what I like about it is is kind of Quantum seems to be a film. I said before, it has a lot of action scenes, but they're quite short, snappy, so it feels very pacey. Uh, so I like I, I do like this fight because I like it again. It's just like extension on the casino royale where it's just really rough and rugged and and i will say before we get to it there are things in skyfall i really like but the fights are better in this yeah yeah definitely well apart from when he fights screen at the end but we'll get to that one yeah uh, it's only because he doesn't know how to fight no well here's, <laughs> make a point about that when we here, get there here, 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 yeah here's, here's, a bit silly, but... here's my thing with green we'll get to him but i i thought literally thought this today why did he not give Green like a a big henchman type dude? He doesn't, you know. Why he gave he... him Elvis and his wig. <laughs> well, why can they change? The, why why can they change that, that guy more formidable to Bond to fight? You know, would it would it make sense for him to have quite a a tough looking bodyguard? Like maybe maybe make him tall and blonde, like like a, like a cliche <laughs> Bond thing. I don't mind that shit. But, but Dominic you know, Green to me, I mean, his plan fine, but. Dominic Green and the henchmen around him, one of the weakest villainous sort of organisations in the entire series. It's just weak, and, and you might defend it as something different, and Matthew Almarek's a really good actor and everything else, but it's poor. At no point does he really seem like a threat. He doesn't strike us as that well, creepy. He's he's physically no threat, and all right, he's got the ear of... Um, the CIA, which we'll get to, but yeah, nothing special I, at all. I, I agree. I mean, I I like Dominic Green as villain. I just think having him with uh, an actual henchman who, who looks double R, should we say, <laughs> like so, so, <laughs> someone who is actually a phys- double R bastard. Yeah, so, someone yeah. who's actually physically imposing, as if just you know, as if say, yeah, okay, well, I'm not like a physical threat, but I don't need to be. I've got him, you know. That kind of thing would level things out a bit more, in my in my opinion. I think it would give that fight at the end if it's like he's like Dominic Green could escape while the the place is blowing up and Bond fight him instead, and then so and, and then he and then he, could, and then he could just catch him up like you know later on. Spoiler for for the, for the rest of the film, but I thought there was no reason why that couldn't have been a thing, you know. So you know, it was just it was just a thought that she came to my head. But um, yeah, the the fight of the. What's his name? The the guy who he impersonates at the end, isn't it? It's um, it's it's really it's it's really rough and rugged. It, I, lo- I love how it's 
Bond just kills him by stabbing him in the leg by like severing like a like a, a, a port and archery and he's just there calmly just like looking around no no witnesses no okay wasn't it in the neck was it the leg was it I, I, I thought it was the leg no, yeah. he, he gets him in the neck as well and then he gets him he's in the so, neck he, and he's he, he, okay. basically probably both then yeah um, it's horrible it's quite a brutal death it's, it is like I mean it's like through broken glass and all that yeah it's Jeez. quite um, but again it's like I said but I love this how Bond is literally just turning up just seeing what he can find gets in a fight uh, uh, and like literally a minutes later M rings him it's like he tells him yeah he's a dead end she's like he's fucking killed him you know but I wish Bond would stop killing people you know <laughs> she spent a lot of this movie being pissed off didn't she well yeah again it's like, I liked how like it kind of addresses that fact that Bond just does kill people and you think well surely M would start getting, job. yeah but start, M would start getting pissed off like look I want fucking information he's dead so fucking good to me <laughs> you know so, still has yeah. lesson from the last yeah you, you can't pump anyone for information back when they're dead no uh, deadly no <laughs> no pumping going on here Pierce Brosnan bud <laughs> Oh, it's only the old necrophilia. Um, yeah, so. Oh Christ! <laughs> so yeah, ba- yeah, there's no pumping going on here. Apart from maybe oil and water. Yeah, and I like how bi- how no business he is. So he literally just kills a guy, starts like sort of straps himself up, gets a jacket Beams on himself up. Yeah, and just outside. Yeah, and I love the way she says to him, "Get well." Not the way she says, "Get in," because I actually think she's quite weak. But he just goes, "All right." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Why not? And, um, I, uh, yeah, he's basically impersonating Slate, who it turns out is sent to kill her. And at some point, at this point, I thought we were going to have some weird colour thing with Quantum. Because you had green, white, Slate, and so on. Um, but it turned out they dropped that kind of quickly as well. Yeah, there's a kind of theme going on, but that's about it. That's kind that's of where it I ends, thought. really. So. And this conversation's fine. They t- get they get taken to uh, Green, where um, Bond is um, flanked by the worst extra of all time. <laughs> Have yeah, you seen this? Yeah, I've seen it. When he's when he's sat, there's you can find the clip on YouTube because when he's on the bike, you can see there's kind of I don't know like a bin man or kind of like street sweeper behind him yeah. his, his broom doesn't even touch the floor it's really weird he just kind of presses it up twice and he's like he's wafting it around the air he doesn't <laughs> he's basically miming cleaning. he's miming street sweeping and not actually doing by, it properly by wafting and unlike Sean Connery not everyone around him is knocked out by his wafting <laughs> it, it's um I, I just think much. all of this is so weak and the whole action from here on is fairly weak as well what do you think Chris I, I like it. I mean, look, I like the... Well, first I can just say I love how Bond just deals with the guy with the bike after he gets out of the car. Oh, um, geez, yeah, that's Yeah, gross. that whole, like, <laughs> you were supposed to shoot while I miss, and he just, he just, flicks, he just flicks him up. <laughs> that, it's that whole thing, like, I'm still in. Um, yeah, I, I, I like I like the action set piece. I'm, I'm, I was still fairly in with it. The only action piece I thought was a bit of a stretch when I first watched it was... The airplane fight where they tried to parachute out about you know <laughs> with one parachute together that that kind of like oh, that seems a little bit rushed and fast. silly. It all felt like padding by that point yeah. though. Um, you can watch it now and go, well, there's plenty of action in this, but at the time it was like mm. busy work. Yeah, but generally, I I, I kind of liked I, I I do I do like the uh, the action um, generally. I mean, it's it's nothing like look I've seen better. Better action scenes in, in better films, you know. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not going to say, "Oh, this is an action masterpiece" or anything. But uh, you know, but for me, it it works perfectly fine. 
So you know, the, like the net, like from here, we kind of see Bond just kind of like follow her to uh, Dominic Green, and he kind of like is, is spying us, seeing what goes on, and then we get introduced to Dominic Green, who is uh, by your count, uh, it's a pretty, it's, it's a pretty weak villain, really, isn't he? Uh, in, in for for most, yeah. Of I just thought it was a shame. Oh no, go for it. Sorry. Uh, all I was going to say is uh, Matthew Armorick had made his name in a film, Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Didn't he, didn't he win the Oscar for that one? He did, and it was... Yeah. Um, Apparently so. It, um, yeah, basically a guy who could only communicate via his um, <clears throat> eyelids. Uh, really extraordinary performance, and I thought he would give us something fairly unique here. Well, the only thing unique about this performance is it just doesn't stand out. And at least at least Bond villains I don't like, like Gustav Graves, well, they stand out. They're crap, but they stand out. This is um, this is really quite poor. I think he was going for kind of like that smarmy kind of politician type guy. Um, I think it's that, part of his, it was kind of partly based on Tony Blair, wasn't it, at the time? And like Nicholas, kind of Nicholas Scar- Karskovi, I think, as well. Yeah, Sarkozy, that was it, yeah. Uh, oh, was it? I had no idea. I th- yeah, I think for his, you know, in ter- his inspiration for the character, in, you know, his performance. Like a politician yeah. style, you know. And, you know, it, it, it is, he's very boo here, so, you know, he's he's very sort of, you know, devious. I mean, there was there were things where I thought was, wasn't quite clear, you know, when he's talking to... Uh, I mean... Uh, yeah, we, we, I can't we, pronounce her name. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> he's talking to Camille, and she and uh, he's telling her about a story. Or like, uh, oh, I was, you know, I've always been like hate people sort of talking about me behind my back. Uh, there was like, uh, I was, I was, you know, I remember my first crush was uh, this, um, th- this girl. My mother taught, uh, used to teach piano to, and uh, heard her t- saying nasty things. I took an iron, and it wasn't really. And then after that, nothing. I don't. What you took an iron and what? Like, what do you do? Iron the shirts, you know. Yeah, it was great. Like, thanks. Yeah, it was like, uh, is that meant to be like ambiguous? So we're we supposed to kind of like, in, like picture on our heads what you did. You're meant to be or, scared by this, you know. Like, what, 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 yeah, that, that that kind of thing. So I don't know if that was just they just again just edited it out by accident, or they just couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. But um, that yeah, that was a bit odd. But generally, yeah, I, I just I, I, that that really has writer strike written all over it. They've got the beginnings of an idea there. I'm sure it went somewhere, and they weren't sure what. Uh, they probably felt they needed this scene to link to the next one, so they've left it in completely unfinished. And we go into a sequence now that doesn't really make any sense. The bike stuff's okay. Then they end up in a boat. That again, I keep referencing haphazard stuff. They make a point about like the anchor in this and and how the sequence ends. It's a little bit weak. Yeah, I mean, the CGI in this boat chase is terrible yeah. as well. I must point out, it's pretty bad. It's you know he does basically give like uh, Camille's way to like this kind of what do you think of, like the dictator type dude? Is he you know? Oh, Madrano. Yeah, I mean he's quite a kind of gross bitch, you know, but it... well, they throw in him being a sex offender in order to pad him out and make us root against him in reality he's very like general trang in tomorrow never dies he's been sort of pitched to by the villain of the piece to try and gain influence in that country so pitch yourself to a monster and try and influence his power i suppose it's kind of like i don't know if you want your henchman i suppose that's probably the closest thing apart from elvis that um elvis. that he comes to as a head as it well not, not elvis obviously but um, uh-huh. I suppose he, he could almost be General Madrano could almost be like a henchman kind of because he's basically like sort of 
puppet government really, isn't he? So he's obviously sort of corrupt. Yeah. You know, he's going he's to facilitate this coup, and Madonna is going to sort of posit himself in there. Um, and then you can say, right, okay, you can have all the all the oil and all the water. He's very oafish, yeah, isn't he? I think that's. Oh, he's very oafish. Yeah. I think that's why the, the right, get, yeah. yeah. And when you add the fact that he likes to rape and kill women, it's like, uh, yeah, you're. Well, yeah. that's kind of Camille's story, which yeah. doesn't well, interest. That, well, that, that's her, that's her like, motivation for Avenger, isn't it? I mean, she's kind of she's like sort of millionaire from Fury's only. She's following her her own revenge mission. You'd have done as just well. as well not to bother with a Bond girl no. in this at all. But of course, even though the Craig gear is much better than the previous eras, for he doesn't have to finish in a woman's arms. Uh, no, exactly. Yeah, I, she did. Like, there's still know. an element of we've got to crowbar women into this. I suppose, but I think I like it in this one be- uh, because here I think she's there to kind of like help bond on his, on his journey emotionally, Ra- you know, rather than like in in terms of you know, you know, sort of the bad guys. But she's kind of there to kind of like as as someone who is seeking vengeance herself. It's like someone who he can relate to, and kind of like and and take an outside look at oh. Well, yeah, you are. Yeah, you. You know, I. I can see your part. I can see what what your problem is, but I can kind of reflect that self on me now. So, yeah, I, yeah, I can. I, I, I don't mind. I kind of like it in here because it, it does reflect on Bond himself. And yeah, she's not like your typical Bond girl, really. Is she? She's yeah. kind of like more, more like foils for each other. Yeah. Um. I suppose if you've got if you've got to have a trophy, it's it's Fields, isn't it? I suppose. Um. But. Definitely, Camille's more. She, well, she's not so much a love interest, but more kind of like she's probably one of the first Bond girls who's on like equal footing, if you want to call it that. With Bond, see, so. I, I don't agree. They do that every few. I mean, we, every now and again, we get a Bond film where they go, uh, "She's a match for Bond, and she's on, and she's an equal, and all the rest of it." We've had that right the way fucking back to uh, oh, yeah. Goldfinger. We've we've had it on and off since Pussy Galore. There have been plenty of strong, empowered women in this series. And yet we're still saying, finally, one who can match Bond. We've, we've had it right the way through this series. And sometimes they drop the ball, like with Triple X, where she becomes a bit of a nothing near the end of the film, or Tiffany Case, where she's really strong for the start of the film, but not at the end. Um, but we are not short of, of fairly empowered women in this series. And I don't think Camille stands out particularly at all. We have Vesper Lind in the last film who was very strong. Now, as much as I hate Die Another Day, you had Jinx was, was very much supposed to be an equal in the film before. Mm, I disagree uh, the, about Jinx. The, the film, well, she's, she's not very well realised, but the idea is certainly there. The film before that, the main villain is a woman who absolutely, you know, uh, sort of bedazzles Bond. Well, yeah, the yeah, she's one of the most villains in the series, Before that, you've got um, Wei Lin, who's probably better than Bond. She kicks ass. All the way through the film. Uh, before that, you've got um, Xenia, who is um, uh, a, a very well-qualified computer programmer. Before that, you've got a CIA agent. I mean, this film is just not short of strong women, and I do not think Camille stands out at all. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I, 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 don't know. I, 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 I like. It. I guess it's like a, it's like a because she is very vulnerable. Uh, a time when it comes to killing uh, the evil dictator dude whose name I can't remember. Medrano. <laughs> Medrano, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm great with names, me. Um, uh, it, 
you know, she is kind of like, it, it does kind of take a lot out of her. It's like, I don't think she's actually killed anyone before, even though she works, well, used to work for the Bolivian Secret Service. Um, I, you know, I, I think I just like her as a as a presence, as someone to go along with. I like how it doesn't excuse the fact that Bond has to sleep with her for her to be there. If, if you know what I mean. I think, I think, uh, I, I think I, that's I, I've the... I've always liked that about the Craig era, though. They're not purely sexual yeah. beings. I mean, there are exceptions. I think Agent Fields is, is crowbarred in. She's not a logical choice to be there. And she is there for, like, Daniel Craig to fuck somebody. Um, but, by and large, his era is not just about their sex objects. So, well, at least it has that. It's a completely different era, isn't it, now? I mean, it's, the world's very different. Well, you could argue it's, it hasn't changed or it is wildly different. I have seen know, people argue... The 60s, but... I have seen people argue Skyfall's misogynistic. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that a little bit. Okay, that'll be an interesting one for next week. Oh, is that the whole thing with uh, Silver's Girl... Thing, yeah, that whole yeah, thing. pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I remember, I remember the argument. I kind of really disagree. Really problems with that one. I think, I, I think I'm with you, Dave. I think I completely disagree with that. I think people, that's people read too much into it. Um, but we'll get there <laughs> next week. Um, mm. So uh, yeah, so where are we then? We so we have that boat chase, and uh, he just basically just drops her off. <laughs> she just, just casually, just like, just yeah, just say, oh, she's feeling sick, and just walks up, leaves her. Um, and then where do you go from there? Yeah, I don't really get why he does that, and it's it's a bit random. It's like the only sort of quip that he makes in the film. It's like, oh, sorry, she's seasick. It's like, what? What's going on? So uh, yeah. I, I think he just yeah, on there. Uh, I think he just well, he, he doesn't really know what her thing is. So it's like, as far as he's concerned, he saved her life, and now she's dropped off to safety. So. That's about as far as yeah, I she, know. yeah. She doesn't really realise that she's you know she's usually yeah. that close to to getting him. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's why she struggles. I mean, we'll, we'll get there towards the end, but I think that's why she struggles because her whole life has been building up to this moment, and it's kind of snatched away from her. Yeah. And then when she finally does does it, does it like at the end, she's like, oh, you know, what do I do now? You know, kind of put my whole life's work, and he's like, oh, and it's like, well, that's why she's kind of so, well, just really bothered by it towards the end. I think. It, it's a strange film. After this, it's all over the place. I mean, it really is. Because I don't readily remember where we go next. Do you? Okay. I do write it down. <laughs> no, we um we see creepy Gregory Bean, don't we? He's like the section chief of South America, um, and they're basically well, not. I was going to say in bed, but they're not in bed with Green and his crew. They were Mrs. in Yeah, Indy. yeah, uh, yeah. Bond rings M and says like, um, uh, I need to check on Dominic Green. Um, need to need need to find out what we need to know about him. Um, so basically, like, instead of advert for the phone, uh, for the Sony Ericsson phone he's got at the time, isn't it? So. Yeah, basically. And um, yeah, That's a good phone. I had that phone. It was good and, fun. And again, it's like I like it because M uses her a brain, and she rings the CIA, and they they put on all put straight to like the head 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 in that division, and she's like, well, he's clear, well, clearly clearly uh, they're extreme interest, you know. Yeah, I love that. Well, he's just put you through. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hang on a minute. I've just mentioned How this guy. How does she know to do that? Hmm? He knows to do that. They're clearly tracking him. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I liked how it's like shows that M is not an idiot. It's it's, it's a little sort of character touch that which, which I like. You know, it's because uh, Kenny goes, "Oh, well, Dave just says like, come on, don't be yeah, tell you, yeah, don't, be Tana. Like... don't be daft, Tanner, don't be daft, Tanner." 
And of course, uh, there's Green having a meeting with them, doing some dodgy shit. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and Felix there, look, just like hating every minute of it. I mean, he's sulking through the entire film, pretty much. <laughs> he's really moody, isn't he? He spent this whole film with a massive moody on. It's just like what? Well, you would be if you're like made to do things you didn't you didn't think was actually right or legal. No. <laughs> yeah, so, um... I think he, he was a bit of a victim of the strike as well because apparently he was meant to have like a more such a, a bigger role, but it was kind of just like it was really, you know, most of it was left on the cutting room floor. So, which who is a was? shame. Sorry, who was? Oh, sorry, um, Felix. I felt that when I watched it. I, I just felt... I mean, they meet in a bar at one point and they, they've got like 10 seconds together and you think, stop, have a conversation. And he's, you know, later on we see him at Green's event and he's just sat in the background. And I just think they've got him. They know they want him there, but they haven't really figured out what to do with him. No, he's, he's can... a really point in this film for me. He's really underused. I mean, he's a brilliant actor. And I like him as Felix, but he's so underused. And they even has a line, you know, you don't know me. And it's like, well, no, we don't. I, I tend to think that if I'd not known this film had uh, writer's strike problems, um, I'm not sure how much I would have put that together. I'd have just thought this film has problems. But given I know it's got writer's strike problems, I can almost see where they are. I can, I just think, oh, yeah, well, that, that clearly they were going to expand that, or clearly they haven't quite thought that through thing bit that bit through yet. Do you, do you think that's why the film is actually shorter? Because they, they didn't write enough to... to I'm, I'm led to believe... Maybe. I'm led to believe Mark Forster set out to make a shorter Bond film. Mm. He, just, he, he, he set out to make one that was shorter, punchier and everything else. So not necessarily. I actually think this film um, would have benefited for a bit more of a running time. And it's one of those bizarre things. You see it sometimes. You see it with someone like Kingdom of Heaven, where its theatrical cut is far shorter but feels longer. Something to do with putting material back in like makes it flow better. And I do wonder that about this film, because when I watched it in the cinema, it felt interminably long, and it's the shortest Bond film. And I do think if they put a bit more meat on the bone and it had flowed a little bit better... You know, and been say two hours and five, it might have been, it might have benefited from that. Mm. And yeah, possibly. I mean, it might have might have solved like the you know the inconsistencies of the editing as well. You know, if you had a bit more time, a bit more, a bit more story they can put together, uh, it it might cause less of a problem. But anyway, um, so where, do, where well, do we... yeah, the, the the film just really struggles from now on. Um, because it all feels like busy work. They cram in a load of action sequences. A bit later in the film, we've got Agent Fields turning up for no reason. Do you send uh, an attractive young woman to Bond well. who's, who's, who's fi- filing reports is what she does? Well, really? Well, it's not that she just shows up in a raincoat. <laughs> like, yeah, she's not... She's not. I, I don't think she's actually not wearing anything underneath that raincoat. I know, that's what it looks I like. I think that's how... That's how it's meant to look. That's how it looks like. That's the whole point of it. <laughs> she looks like a stripper girl. Yeah, exactly. She looks like she looks like she's gonna flash someone. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know about you, but you know, if I'm a, a debonair gentleman who's known for my you know lady killing ways, I kind of say I've lost my stationery. Let's fuck. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another thing, though. Like, she, he does turn, like, he does charm her quite quickly and easily. Like, I blame M for that one because she does it in the first place, and then afterwards she's like, "Oh no, how many is that now?" You know, they'll do anything for you, or so I blame her. Well, yeah, but it's, it's the way he does it. It's like literally he just walks into the hotel, like, "Oh, I can't." Oh, I've lost my stationery. And she's okay. like, she kind of like smiles, goes, "Oh, go on then." <laughs> uh, but you know, we're but, but he's kissing her. He, the way he's the way he's going on about it, it, it's weird. It's like she's some kind of statue he's worshiping. It's weird. Well, you know, you know Bond's... It's very know, odd, isn't it? Bond's a lover and a fighter. You know, he's a uh, rare breed. Um, <laughs> yeah, before that, we get uh, we get introduced to uh, Mathis. Oh, no, actually, no. Before that, don't we have the whole uh, quantum thing in the in the Weird Opera thing? Oscar. Oh, the, the, uh, yeah, I really like this sequence. I think this is... It's the best scene in the film for me, I think. The whole... Even with the opera sequence, the, the meeting, and then the whole foot chase that, that comes after it, I think, for me, just that that section from start to end is the best scene in the whole film I, I said a couple of times um, that I thought Craig was a little bit more Connery than he was Dalton and there's a sequence in this film at the opera where he steals a suit and all the rest of it and he shuts a guy in and breaks the handle off and that reminds me of Connery elbowing the um, fire, fire bell in Thunderbolt yeah. just like the casual way does it just just casual and no nonsense i've always kind of liked the way craig that that sort of economy of action yeah and uh it really shows up here and that sequence great is great because it's bond going to work and we don't see enough of that yeah again it's it's bond kind of going the flow he's like okay like seeing what's what he's listening in and you know, rather than kind of like keeping his mouth shut and just taking in all the information, he interrupts and goes, "Oh, can I say something?" And that causes a reaction people to leave. He finds out who actually. And is. he takes photos of all of them, and White stays where he is, yeah. which proves White's the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Albeit he knows who White is. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it makes true. a difference. <laughs> but, no. But but I'll do like his line. It's like, what, what is it? What opera they're looking at? Well, maybe it's not for everyone. You know, it's. Yeah, it's also not for everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, then we have this kind of weird. But even that, even that, Chris was weird on first watching because I love that sequence. Yeah, I think it's one of Craig's defining sequences. But I've never been to see Tosca. I think it was. Um, and you've got that weird big eye on the on the stage, and it's all very sort of cold. If you think about opera, I always think of something like quite rich and lavish, and like everything else in this film, it's very stripped back and very. Very kind of clinical. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think this was like the one scene where they really sort of like took a chance to do something different. Like, you know, it's way it's cut and it's way it's cut back to the opera and it just goes all like the the audio is just it's just pure just what the opera is rather than like the 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 firing and the action and what's what scene Bond is doing. It just it just feels very kind of like a hazy dream, and it's. Uh, it's it's an odd way to have a like a, a set piece in in this kind of in this action film, but it's you know fair play they're trying something different. Oh, that's what I can, yeah, like, it's what and, I like. Uh, yeah, about and it. that's the way I feel about this film. And Craig is so good in this sequence, right? The way, all of his time in that building, right the way through to where he goes to the airport and finds his um, cards are cancelled. Yeah, it, it is defining Daniel Craig James Bond for me. 
Well, with how he asked the, um, the the girl at the reception, like, yeah, they're going to get a phone call in a minute. Just uh... just all of it. Just all of it. it. It is Daniel Craig's Bond. There's an economy of movement. Um, there's kind of a don't-give-a-shit attitude. But he's working. He's going to work. He still manages to be relatively charming with it. It just all works. And, and Daniel Craig at this point is 40 years of age. He's the perfect age for the, for the role. You know, it, it's all great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, then we get to uh, meet Mathis again. Uh, we go to, is it Italy? Yes. Yes, yeah. he, go, he goes to Italy. Uh, he, okay. Yeah, it's around there. Okay, now even after it's just been established that all his cards have been cancelled. So how he gets there, I don't know. <laughs> but he gets yeah, there. He, <laughs> he, he gets there, and not only that, on a fucking boat. Like, he's just there. Like, he steals it from somebody. Well, no, he's, he, no, he's not... And he popped off it at the cardigan shop as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he gets another new outfit along the way somehow. <laughs> so, I yeah. Just, when I first saw this, I thought, my God, they are really trying to make this... Remind us of Steve McQueen. <laughs> this oh, this does, film is... He is very, very Steve McQueen. He has a very like cool classical image, doesn't he? I think as well. I think the the McQueen Steve McQueen comparison isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't think. Yeah, um, the Mathis sequence I'm not as fond of because none of it seems thought through. I can't work out the stuff with his wife. Is she coming on to Bond? Does she want to fuck Mathis in front of Bond? <laughs> uh, what's quite happened with Mathis? What She's there to show him up, really, isn't she? What I think... real role does he play? Um, well, I I'm think not... I think it's established the fact that he was innocent because she says it. It's like, well, you know, that's why you got your house because you're, you know, locked you up to torture you and you're innocent. So, they, you should be thanking him that he, you know, he managed to retire to a, like a nice place in Italy. That um, makes perfect yeah. sense for him to go see Mathis because literally, I mean, at this point, you know, his government's turned against him. He's he hasn't got anyone. So, and what better person than Mathis, really, who's kind of now retired? Yeah. Um, the, I can't even speak to Zoom. I can't even say it. Is it Zoom Bureau? I can't pronounce it, sorry. Um, but anyway, from his Secret Service. So, it's kind of, it makes perfect sense for him to go and see Mathis, actually. Um, and it, and it's and a, there's the perfect echo back to uh, Casino, where basically, for the majority of the time, he's kind of doing the whole Mathis thing of being like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take charge of this, or like, oh, I'll talk you through everything. But while at the same time always bring up... Well, he's got no money, no cards, no connections. It does make sense to go to Mathis. But again, at the same time, I kind of think that um, they don't sell that we need it. uh, That he needs him and that Mathis really does play that amazing a role. But it's, it's not bad. It's okay. I don't know, you know, I, I think like what Becca was saying, I, you know, I, where else can Bond go to? In, in the context of the scene, like the only film pa- past this was Casino. You know, who else can Bond really turn to? It's, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I like it anyway. But, um. I, yeah, I mean, I did enjoy the sequence on the plane. Bond looking immaculate but pissed out of his skull drinking vespers. <laughs> I think that's the first time we ever see him drunk, isn't he? Despite him being an alcoholic, it's the first time we ever see him crook. On a virgin flight. <laughs> With Bart. Yeah, oh no. <laughs> yeah, he can tell uh, oh, Richard dear. Branson's had a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um, well, so what, you, you like that? Like just seeing Bond getting pissed? 
I just thought that um, you can read it several ways. I mean, if you have intelligent you should realize that bond is is still hurting right the way back from stealing the photo of vesper but daniel craig has always played bond some somewhat emotionally understated so to actually see him off his tits on the on the plane drinking the signature drink he named after her and clearly in a shitload of pain i just think was a handy and well-timed reminder mm. And even Mathis seemed surprised because I know he realised that um, he had feelings for Vesper, but he does seem genuinely surprised it's affected him this badly. Yeah, well, they always talk about, oh, she died for you as well, and he's like, kind of, nah, she fucking betrayed me and all that. Um, so, yeah, he, he's very much in the kind of moody, grievy stage. Um, so, almost like denial, like he's telling himself that, you know, the bitch is dead. He's just compartmentalising, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, she, you know she doesn't matter, you know, she's not, she's not important, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, so, which is kind of like, you know, what quantum source actually means. <laughs> so it actually makes sense to me that the title is called that. The, the actual... title is not a problem. Apart from the fact they've clearly really reached for it. Yeah. It does actually fit. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And some sense, of the criticisms I've read of this film is what a stretch or what a pretentious title. Title's fine. Yeah. No, exactly. Well, it's the original Fleming title. I mean, that doesn't relate to the actual story itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so, yeah, so is Octopussy. Something. It's that kind of... So is Octopussy. Yeah. So, you know, exactly. get used to yeah. it. <laughs> uh, well, that yeah, wasn't really that. my problem. Yeah, exactly. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're talking just about the title. My Dave, problem with Octopussy was <laughs> everything else. <laughs> was it something to do yeah. with uh, Roger Moore's age, age at the time? Oh, he's too fucking old. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Take it back to time, though. <laughs> and it was the fact he was a smarmy fucker. <laughs> Hate that film, by the way. <laughs> you never would have guessed. Tell, tell us about shit. it, Dave. <laughs> shit. And you got like fucking oh, DJ arbitrage. You can't fucking act. Playing a fucking recorder and like half looking at the camera because he's so self-conscious and tennis jokes because he's such a fucking superstar and Bond fucking everything that moves. It's <laughs> shit. Which film do you hate more, Dave? Octopussy or Dying of the Day? Octopussy. <laughs> Dying, oh Dying of the Day is fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, at least you anyway, can... that was a short that was a short station break, folks. Anyway, <laughs> back moving to on. Tonight's presentation. Yes. Um, so yeah, we. Uh... Well, anyway, Bob sat on the plane having. Uh, I think he's had six wanked off six. fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, he got plenty of egg whites. <laughs> and, they, and they get off when he meets. Lots of protein. They get off, they meet Agent Fields, a.k.a. Strawberry Fields, because that's the joke that's in the that's group. The name. Uh, you can Strawberry see, if, if, if you've never picked that up, but you've seen this film, it's in the credits. Yeah. Yep. It's, 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 it's not a thing to set a joke up to be in the credits, isn't it? Like, you know, you like... out for a name, though, yeah. it's like, Fields, just Fields. And it's like, yeah, you have to read the credits to find out she's called Strawberry Fields. Yeah, which so. is totally worth it. <laughs> really great. <laughs> So he shags her, and she gets killed by oil and stretched out very like Shirley. Well, Eaton. she it's, it's kind of a odd thing. We can't confirm whether she's been eaten. She, I mean, she does kind of basically get left there after tripping up Elvis on the on on, on the stairs. Bond oh my just, gosh! Bond just kind of like fucks off with Camille, and she's like, "Oh, oh gosh, I'm so sorry." And you're thinking, oh "Well, that's probably you dead then, isn't it?" Because. <laughs> 
Because mm. yeah. I, I wonder what kind of she's getting up there. Cause she's kind of going up. You know, to, maybe she's going to speak to Dominic Green or somebody. And then she's like trips Elvis up and shows that he's got we wearing a wig. He's like, oh my gosh. It's like, what's the point of that scene? The next time we see her, she's dead. And it's like, oh. I think yeah. So she gets something to do really, I guess. Um, but she doesn't really get to do much other than sort of show up, uh, get shagged, and then it's a pointless character. It's just she. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like women are not into this story really in terms of his sex life anyway so they've got to cram in something this is really weak and and as much as you know it's a bit like you look at the star wars prequels and they send anakin to protect uh amidala yeah and he's wildly in love with her and a hormonal teenager and you think not in a fucking million years if it wasn't pertinent to the plot would anyone with half a brain do that and it's the same here. He's a slightly drunken fucking womanizer who's heartbroken. So let's send that sexy woman in a fucking raincoat with nothing underneath. <laughs> it's like, well, you wouldn't, would you? You'd send some fuck. You'd send Tanner. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I yeah. would, I would, I would be fascinated by a scene of him fucking Tanner. Um, no, but, no. <laughs> oh, it would just be hilarious if they went there. I've forgotten my stationery. <laughs> <laughs> And the next thing you see, he's kissing Tanner's back. Um, There's some fan fiction, guys. Covered in oil. We push all the envelopes. It's just not what you would do. And as much as I know there's leaps here, like Julie Dench is like, M is, is sharp. She's always been sharp. And not in a million years would she do this. So no, it's the, a bit the whole setup just doesn't work. Yeah, but it's, it's I think it's, it's a brief thing, so it's like yeah, you just go okay, fine. I think I think the main impact is the fact that she dies with oil, and then it's that thing for M to kind of beat Bond on the head to sing like another and oil in her lungs. She yeah. wasn't dead. Yeah, like oh, like oh, like like another another person dead for Christ's sake, Bond. You know that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's like how many is that now? Yeah, that doesn't make sense either. And again, it, it needs another rewrite. And and again, very like I mentioned earlier, when we get to Star Trek two thousand and nine, there's lots of this sort of stuff. What is their goal here? What are they trying to do? M and her team have turned up to basically take Bond in and stop him. You know, because he's a renegade. He's he's had his cards cancelled, but has still managed to carry on. The woman she's bizarrely sent out to like bring him back is now dead. Uh, one of the best, uh, they're in this hotel, which is one of the best jokes of the Craig era, where they're in a crap hotel because they're teachers. And so he goes to another one and says, we're teachers, but we've won the lottery. Mm. <laughs> um, but none of this makes sense because they're gun- they want to take him in. He's, he's motivated by inconsolable rage, according to him. And as soon as he escapes and runs off, they said, we'll keep an eye on him. He's onto something. I trust him. He's my agent. Two minutes ago, you wanted to bring him in because he's not to be trusted and he's a total renegade. He's knocked out three or four of your guys and another whippy action sequence. You won't know how many it is, three or four. Um, And he's gone on the run and suddenly it's follow him. He's onto something. Well, A, that doesn't make sense. And B, you never see any evidence that they did follow him ever again. So it, it just wears the scars of its production history. This is a bit of a mess. It does. I, I, I guess I'm kind of. I was blinded to that by um, just M. Just well, saying, it, keeps, I, it, it keeps moving. Yeah. that's the thing, Chris. It keeps moving. But just just the line of, of M just saying, which I really like, was the fact that I'll, I'll, I'll sod the CIA. You know, mm. you know, 
they, they can basically tell they can fuck off. He's my agent, you know. Uh, that kind of like, oh, good old M. That, that that kind of thing. But you're right. It is kind of. It does keep going, keep moving, moving, moving. Which which is probably ultimately why I don't have much problem with the film because it does just it's very pacey and I'm kind of I do like pacey films. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, you know I don't I I I I see pretty a lot of films kind of like a bit too drawn out. So when something is kind of like a bit more shorter and pacier, I'm like, oh yes, I like this. Why can't mm-hmm. most films be like this? When there's you know why why does everything have to be drawn out all the time? Um, there is something to be said for the pace of this film. As much as I think it should have added a little bit to its running time, it whips along. The only problem is because it hasn't really taken us with it. You know, when we get to things like the plane sequence in a while, it just feels, it does feel like panning. It just feels like, okay. And we now know that Mark Forster was determined to have one in all four elements. So it's like, well, I haven't done my plane one yet. Um, it, it's, but again, Craig is, is, you could just see how hard everyone's working on this. Mm. So, Craig. So basically, Craig goes into a plane, <laughs> and um, and it gets uh, has a bit of a plane fight, uh, and then jumps out of it and then lands in a big sinkhole with uh, Camille, and then have a, conf- a conversation about uh, love and loss and revenge, uh, which is kind of like the whole kind of connection thing between them two. Um, and then where do you go from there? Here we go for. Uh, we go to Felix. And, uh, no, Felix was before that. So, but we discussed his little role already. So, waste of time. But they end up. Uh, this is when they head. They head to the hotel, isn't it? Which is a real hotel. Yeah. And, it, yeah, and the thing there. is, as much as it's a real hotel, it doesn't seem like a real hotel. So it seems really implausible. It's it reminds me of Carry. Is it Carry On Up the Khyber? where they're walking through the desert and they keep seeing mirages and then they walk past this hotel and they're like, forget it, it's a mirage. It's a mirage. Move and the guy comes out and says, I told you not to build this here. <laughs> it's a bit like that. It's, like, it's the last place in the world you'd ever have a fucking hotel. Except there is one there. <laughs> I know. I, it, yeah, I, I was thinking that. What was the like, Plot-wise, why is a hotel there? Is it built by... Quantum, so they have like so basically because they bought up that land, so when it flourishes or whatever, they've got a place to. I I, I don't know. In I, real life, it is some workmen workmen use it yeah. for a nearby mine or something. It doesn't really make any sense here, and it doesn't look like a hotel. Again, it is, but sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, and and the fact that it might be true doesn't make it plausible. Strangely. Um, so I thought it was a really, really strange decision. But basically, we're t- we're basically reminded Madrano's a rapist, and we find out that the, this whole plot has been about water, not oil, mm. which always makes me think of Once Upon a Time in the West, where, which we'll cover in a year or so when we cover every ever made. Um, we think this film has been about oil. The CIA think it's about oil, but what he's actually done is blackmailed his way into holding the uh, the Bolivia water supply which he's now going to send sell it a massive massive markup um, which is not it, it might be very real world but it's actually quite a fucking boring plot I think but it's, it's, it's kind of quite real world as well because if, well, if you look at the there's mm-hmm. quite a lot of um, controversy surrounding like where they actually filmed it as well because if you look at like the history between like Chile and Bolivia as well mm-hmm. um, 
you know, for the wealth of one country compared to the relative poverty of, of Bolivia as well because of the droughts. Um, it's quite an interesting history there. So I would encourage listeners, if you want to do a bit of reading around this film, do look up between the history of the two, those two countries and how the production struggled to, you know, film actually on location just due to the political tension. So it's very interesting, I think. Well, if you're interested in history, of course, like yeah. I am. Yeah. Then. Yeah, I, I guess it was just yeah. The, what they're going for was a bit more realistic approach, particularly with quantum as well. The idea of like, well, well, this is what Definitely. they would do. Um, but if they carried on with this, Chris, this might retrospectively have like grown it mm. over time. But it stands out now. You've got a not particularly threatening, not particularly charismatic, not particularly interesting villain. And either side of him, you've got a guy who weeps blood, even though he was done fairly realistically. And a guy whose half his face has been melted away, and it has a bit of Julian Assange about him as well. Well, yeah, so, if you ask me the whole thing about his face uh, missing, is kind of pointless because it's in one scene and that's it. Uh, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. I would argue absolutely the opposite, but we'll get there in a couple of weeks' times, folks. Yes. Um, so yeah, we basically uh, like Inspector Bond turns up. Shoots one thing and the whole thing place goes up. <laughs> it's one well placed shot and the whole bloody place explodes. Yeah, well, well, it's fair. It's more of a car that drives into the back of something. Um, but yeah, it's just okay. Not a very good design, is it? Did you notice the gratuitous punch shot as well? The what? There's a, <laughs> a friend pointed this out to me recently. I'd never noticed it before. But um, in the scene we, just before Madrano um, beats Camille up, um, she's actually tries to rape the waitress as well yeah, and she, she managed to escape and you kind of inadvertently managed to see up her first car it's not very pleasant it's like what the hell you know well uh, yeah I'm, I'm going to put that on there on, after this uh, no, and, and apparently it's Charlie Chaplin's great great granddaughter or something like that as well to boot so that doesn't help is it? okay uh, well, yes so... yes it's uh, Una Chaplin so what was it? okay um <laughs> Something like I that, anyway. Re- but it's just re- yeah, a friend alerted me to it, and I was like, "Whoa, what's I do? <laughs> Cannot unsee." Uh, it's a great box yeah, where it should it's be. It's not a very nice scene. Um, it also now we've had the two films that follows. Bond really likes shooting like gas tanks and fire extinguishers, doesn't he? Yeah. Anything that explodes, he'll shoot it. Yeah. Well, why not? <laughs> Something yeah, to do. Yeah, why not? Get you out of tight situations. What I do like is he was clearly about to shoot her in the heart. Before he noticed that way out, he was about to kill her. Yeah, I think he was. Just put her out of her misery. Yeah, exactly that. They were going to die, and he would kill her first. Um, but no, he shoots a gas tank. The place explodes. Out they go. But yeah. putting, a, putting him in a fist fight with Dominic Green, it's like... Well, really? again, it's like, what they, sh- they should have just given him a big heavy psychic to have. Exactly. He should be yeah. fighting... Madrano. <laughs> Not Elvis. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but he should oh. be like should be fighting. I don't know, um, Gupta or something, you know, or something of like that kind of that kind of elk to have a good fight with. You yeah, know? absolutely. And yeah. you know, and it would it would have enhanced Green's character as well. It would have helped him along, made him a bit more plausible as like as actual opposing threat when he's got someone mysterious with someone who looks kind of you can add that. Well, I suppose he'll kind of go for go against that whole um, body grotesque thing. I think that's what Mark Mark. Forrester didn't want he wanted to move away from that which is why everyone looks normal in this film um, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, yeah yeah nobody really has you know he hasn't got like a weeping eye or he hasn't got like I don't know he's not bold he hasn't got a massive scar or anything like that it's well just, we don't need that yeah. we don't no. need that but we, we don't really see plausible threat and he doesn't actually have that much dialogue either 
No, it doesn't. I just, Comparatively. So I do, I do find him, do find him quite creepy, though. He's quite he kind is of like, almost lizard-like, but slimy. He's a little bit oily, and he's very open neck shirt. He, he's just missing a, a medallion. <laughs> um, the 70s tash. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I like, he's, he's probably least memorable Bond villain, I reckon. I liked how he does give um, uh, the... Uh, what's his name? Ah, oh, come the crap. Uh, I'll find out now. Sorry. Madrano, Madrano, yeah. Well, when he's when he's talking to Madrano and he, he's basically saying like, well, you don't have to sign it. You can uh, shoot me, and you can not sign it. Shoot me, and have a good night's sleep. Or you know, uh, or, or if you do believe me, you'll you know there'll be uh, a guy. Uh, you'll you'll find yourself waking up with your balls in your mouth, your suit will, your suit uh, standing over you. That kind of like quietly demeaning threat, which basically means yeah, you don't care, don't change anything. You can kill me, but in the day. We're more powerful than you, you know that kind of thing. That is kind of memorable for me, for about him. Uh, yeah, but, definitely. It's quite, it's quite seedy and very underhanded. I mean, he hasn't got the physical threat to him, and but, he's, he's kind of yeah. like he's quite weak in that kind of stuff. He doesn't know like how to fight. Yeah, in that respect. I mean, they try they try to play with it fair enough. The how like well you know well the challenge here is Bond is fighting someone who doesn't know how to fight, so he's very like. <laughs> what does he do? You know, he well, can't predict his next movement. Back in the seventies, um, just sort of off the, off the point, but it's related. There was a, a, a serious uh, discussions going on about Muhammad Ali, who was world heavyweight champion at the time, fighting Wilt Chamberlain for the world heavyweight title. Wilt Chamberlain being an extremely tall, legendary basketball player who'd never have a fight in his life, and. They very nearly got, I think it was Customato to train um, Will Chamberlain, and it was very close to happening. And the argument that, that the trainer made to him was, he's, you've got a footage of, and, and um, uh, well, you've got video of every fight he's ever had. He's got nothing on you at all, and he doesn't know anything you're going to do. People where there's unpredictability and are sometimes a little bit te- less technique can almost be like more dangerous. Mm. So I get the concept, but that's us sat like chatting about like a conversation from 40 years ago. In reality, if you want to sell me, there's a threat. Uh, don't serve up a guy who clearly can't fight. That's just stupid. No. Yeah. I mean, he does give it a good go, but it doesn't help the fact that he's wielding an axe like a big girl. going. Rah! Rah! Yeah, yeah, I'm screaming, can't you? It's, it's not just, very nice. Yeah, um, it's also a bit presumptuous when he hears the gunshot from from Camille that he goes, "You just lost another one," as if to say, "Well, as he, you know, it's, I, I guess in the plot he's just, you know, saying it just on the off chance he might be right, but you know, it's a bit presumptuous for him to say that. It's, you know, it's just it's just a bit like an, like an odd odd thing, you know. The Bond's literally. Pulling him up by his hair, it's it's very scrappy. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind it if it was like a short fight. If it was if it was fairly short in length, because at least then it'll be more plausible and it'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> you tried to go his ass kicked, but yeah. you know, it yeah. It, but you know, I I I, I guess okay, whatever. <laughs> it should should have should have should have been a big heavy bad. He should be fighting, but hey. I think a lot of this as well is it's centred around uh, Camille's story. So he's outside explaining to yeah. Camille about shooting and the rest of it. And I don't know if I'm being heartless or not here, but I said it earlier in the series. Problem is, I couldn't give two shits about Camille's story. I've, I've never cared. I'm not that interested at all. 
this is this this more than almost any other Bond film needs to be exclusively Bond story. It is all about him trying to find some either retribution or peace or whatever after Vesper. So we get introduced to this woman who's got some story about a family and whatever and who cares. I don't care at all. And it, it does damage the end of this film because it's, you know, at the same time he's having a fight, so is she. And I couldn't give a shit. He's fighting someone who can't fight and she's fighting in a fight I don't care about. You but they both win. You. Right. <laughs> and he celebrates by not shagging her. He gets, he, gets a nice, he gets a little bit of a peck on the lips, but that's about it. Wow. God almighty, he must have been tugging my plane home. <laughs> I mean, they kept, they kept um, talk about um, Camille coming back, though. They was like, oh, well, I was hoping she might come what? back. I don't know. Uh, do they just they just do this randomly, don't they? Every third Bond film. Yeah, just go, like Jinx was going to come back, back or... Uh, yeah, we really want her back because oh. it brings back Michael Madsen. Yeah, <laughs> and Campbell cigarettes or something. There's uh, one film I didn't want to see. Oh, it's just you know they, they've only had. I, I'm trying to think who a spin-off would have worked with. Waylin, I can't think of any others. Oh, I was. I'd love to see a Waylin movie. That'd be pretty cool. I, I, was, I was thinking about that. You know about a cameo in uh, as well. Uh, a written cameo that she might have had in Dying of a Day. And I'm thinking that how much that would have even damaged the film even more if Waylin turns up. I think, well, why can't she just stick around and be the Bond girl? <laughs> when you get left of her. Because he had massive chemistry with her. Well, well, yeah. I don't know what it is about Pierce Brosnan because he's, he's a really charismatic guy, but no fucking chemistry with anybody. Um, it, it's just, yeah, I, I didn't care. I'm kind of happy enough he didn't shag her. Because I, I got fed up with women being served up as prizes. But at the same time, if he's not going to shag her, what the fuck's she doing here? She's got some story we couldn't give a shit about anyway. I would imagine most viewers feel the same way about that. Although some, some may disagree, that's fine. But it's not that interesting. And it's like, well, don't bother them. At least in concept, the idea of the fact that you have a Bond girl who, you know... Is there for the purpose of the story, albeit maybe is she supposed? To, is a it meant to be? One, but... She's on a parallel journey. Uh, similar. I, I think they're there to kind of like. I think I think the idea is they're meant to there to help each other with their emotional issues. Okay. Yeah, that's basically for each other. I'd aren't happily they? watch a prequel where she gets it on with Eva Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Just an idea. They can have a few wanked off knot fingers and then head off the bed. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose... Dear Barbara and Michael, films Dave would like to see. Number one. <laughs> you going to write the email now, are you? Okay, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, wow. I'm, not, I'm not writing an email now. That's just, like, ridiculous. There's no way I'm going to write to you. Barbara.com. <laughs> and ccmichael.wilson at eon.com and tits <laughs> Becca okay. <laughs> I, I do like what comes next then what the uh... Uh, well two things really firstly him um, giving Green some oil I quite like that but then we head back to where, 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 where do we actually go next is it Canada because I know and she's it was, a Canadian. It's Russia, isn't it? It's meant, it's meant and, to be um... right. I know she's a Canadian agent, um, and basically she's wearing. An, uh, for those of you who um, 
watch Castle. It's the female lead in that. I forget her name now. Uh, Stanich. Yeah. Um, she is wearing an Algerian love knot and dating the same guy we saw in the photo at the start of the film. And basically... It's in a, in a Kazan, Russia. That's where they are. That's right. Name. He's got another one on the hook, basically. And Bond turns up, and you would assume the story arc has to be what happened, but you would assume, from what we know of Bond in this film, he's going to kill him. But he doesn't. Yeah. Um, well, no. Well, we, we, it, it might have beaten him up a little bit, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess. Must have beaten him off. <laughs> That's what Becca recommends when you're facing <laughs> <up>. <laughs> um, But uh, I suppose it makes sense as well because also you got M um, kind of bravering for killing people all the fucking time. Now it's like, did you kill him? Nope. You know, now you can question him. Ha ha, wink wink. Um. Yeah, yeah this, this is why I reckon it's all about it's all about Camille, really, because I mean, you want Bond to go on this mission. It's, he's Bond's getting revenge not for Vespa, but for you know the, pe- the people who tried to kill M, pretty much. So it's all about that's his revenge mission, and that's why this film is much more focused on Camille rather than Bond. Because um, all the way through, you know, um, oh, what's his name, Mathis, is like, oh, she loved you, she died for you, she did everything for you, you have to forgive her, and Bond's just like, nah, screw that. Um, and, and at the end, he doesn't even kill Yusuf. So that's why, for me, it's all about her rather than... It, her arc is much more important than his, I'm not as convinced. it were. I'm really not convinced. No, no, fair whole, enough. The whole thing was... I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, Becca. I'm just, I'm just not convinced. I just is think it, that the I whole story... I, I would kind of say the same sort of thing. It's, that's, that's how I see it. But the way the story is laid out and put together, because yeah. of the strike, all the problems that they have, it just doesn't come across as... It's very effective, that's all, to be honest. The whole film is about Bond having to sort of deal with emotion. It's basically Data's emotion chip from fucking Star Trek oh. Generations. The whole point of this film is you have to integrate personal pain into real life and, and learn to get on with it. And it cannot affect the way you deal with things. And by the end, he's got there. He's, he's got there by sparing the guy. But we're supposed to care like Madrano raped some of this woman's family? Well... Maybe you do. I mean, maybe maybe some people do. I, I mean, there must be some people who do. But I was very, very interested in Bond's journey. And I think, whereas in um, Casino Royale and, and in Skyfall to a degree, there's an economy of dialogue that really helps Daniel Craig's character because it's no nonsense. In this film, he needed to say a bit more. So after the skydive, where, where she's telling her story, which doesn't interest me in the slightest... She says, have you caught the people who did this yet? And he just says, no. And I think, well, that's fine, but talk to us a bit more. What is it you are going through here? What is it that, what is, what is it you're struggling to deal with exactly? I just find that... I get, your problems. I get the feeling that he's <laughs> yeah. trying to hunt, like, the, the head of uh, Quantum, which, um, as it turns out in Spectre, is, uh, is adopted brother. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you I, I, I literally watched that today, and I thought, "Is that where they were they were going?" Thinking, "Oh, the back of my mind, we need to tie that up with, with that thing in quantum." So yeah, um, and yeah, uh, such a letdown, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and the other thing, and I think I said this before. I think I said this on Pick a Flick actually when we appeared on that. That that when he has um, Dominic Green. And Dominic says to him, I've told you everything you've asked of me about quantum. We needed either two, one of two things to happen. We either needed 
No. More de- we needed more detail on that in this film. So we needed to hear him say something or Bond to later tell M something or us to get something of what that was he told him. Or, given they probably didn't know, the writers and, and, and the producers at this point, what that was going to be, it needed to be returned to. But it actually ended up to be this lazy throwaway where presumably Bond has like, killed off Quantum in the interim between this and Skyfall. Now we'll never know. Now okay. we'll never know. Well, I think the idea was the fact that they've revealed, because they revealed that um, it was one of the members of like a politician type dude. Or someone close to the prime minister, or sort of something like one of those. Oh, is it, yeah, the guy Haynes character. Yeah, there was um, there was a, there was originally going to be like the last scene. I don't know if there was this was always there was a choice between that this and what we have, or whether it was just going to like have it at the end. Uh, but it was going to be seen with uh, that guy and Mister White and Bond coming in and killing them, and that doing whole. There is a deleted scene. The, the whole there gun battle, scene, yeah. which I'll be quite interested in seeing, but they haven't released it, which annoyingly they haven't like. Released well, they it, won't like, now because Mister White was still alive, Inspector. Yeah, no. So it, it's been retconned out of existence. No, but in turn, but on a DVD or something, I, I, I'm surprised they haven't brought like, the special edition of Quantum or Solace and. And giving us like the deleted scenes like they did with Casino Royale, which is kind of annoying. I would interested to see stuff yeah, got deleted it's a shame. out. Um, but yeah, it was going to be it was going to like end that like that. I think we're going to do it the same way, like the gun barrel, like gun shooting, and the gun barrel goes to the gun barrel. Um, which again, the gun barrel. This is terrible. I think it's probably the worst Craig did. Uh, it's yeah, too, way too fast. He's storming across the screen. Like a furious, it's like, and right, I'm going to do this. Kind of his ass out like he's going for a shit. <laughs> um, it's it's just not good. It's he not good. Over, at all. He whips around I, so I love the, I love the way he's dressed. It look I, I like the look of it, but you need to slow it right down. If you slowed it down, it would probably be his best gun barrel. It's a bit similar to um to Dalton's gun barrel. He's he means business with it, I think. There's a real urgency about it and he's, he's, Yeah, he's he was there. told to do it with aggression, which is not what the fucking gun barrel is. The no. whole point of the gun barrel is you've got your sights trained on him, you don't know he knows you have, and then out of nowhere he turns and shoots you. You're not supposed to be storming across like you're desperate to get to the toilets and glass. <laughs> it looks like he's fucking like late for his shift at the building site. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna walk he, angrily. He does. He, he's just like storming across, going like, "Right, let's get this fucking hour away done with. Done. Right. See you later." Yeah, he's impatient. Like, right, do it right. now. See ya. Bye. Uh, yeah, and again, like I've, I've said on this podcast before, the gun barrel does not belong at the end. It belongs at the beginning. Uh, yeah, we've got to so, wait another couple of films for that. I'm yeah. afraid. I, it, it, it's a it's a bugbear mine because it, it just doesn't make you know the whole idea of the we'll get to this next week where like oh but it doesn't make sense to end it because the opening shot is like well get a different opening shot then yeah find a yeah, different exactly, way exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry we get this, we've had that this week we get it next week and it's just unnecessary and the funny thing is uh, Daniel Craig has done more like gun barrels than any other Bond at the moment. And only one film has it in the right place in the right <laughs> format. Yeah, yeah. You just think so many fucking gun barrels to screw it up. I, I just think if you can buy the, if you can make some mental leaps with this film, one of them being that we just accept that Dominic Green told him enough to take down Quantum, and we never saw it. Um, that in particular, 
then you can kind of buy that this is at the end of the story. But it doesn't quite fit. And, and I'm kind of with Chris. I do think Skyfall's a better film. We'll talk about it next week, a couple of weeks' time, actually. But I liked this feel and direction more. I wish I had four films that tied better into Casino Royale than two films, the second of which is compromised. Then you go on to a third that has nothing to do with it. And then you go on to a fourth that really ham-fistedly tried to tie it together. Yep, I absolutely agree. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, basically, look, at the end of the day, this is a weaker film. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to argue that. You know, it's. Yeah, I, I don't think it's as bad as its reputation. You know, may allow that, but um, I, I like the the feel. I like the direction that this is going. Um, for Craig, it suits. It's 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 the way the Bond are like. Is it going to be more Bond tropes that will creep in if they continue in this way? Yeah, sure. Will I be fine with that? Yeah, definitely fine. You know, I, I want it to be. You know, I still want it to be this kind of grounded, this kind of world where Craig lives in. You know, when we can add things like Money Penny and Q and and can, we can build on that. Maybe even get to how we are with Spectre, but let it be more. It just at least, at least, let half like the film. I mean, the whole... it doesn't feel organic, does no, it? No, I mean, like the stu- Skyfall feels like almost like another reboot. It is, and, and, and Spectre kind of tries to tie it all together. So you end up probably where this story would have taken you, but nowhere near as organically. Yeah, I think if at least if the, they didn't have the issues with the studios um, that they had, we wouldn't have that longer wait. And it wouldn't have bothered me that much because I'm very much, particularly when we have a bond, um, particularly when it's a bond that I like. Like at the time, I was like, "Yeah, okay, fine, just make just make another one." And so they dragged out. Well, the the, the production of Skyfall was just got dragged out for like so long that it, that when the time by the time it came out, it did feel like a, like another fucking reboot. And I just felt again, really, really, can we, you know, like, can we not at least address? Like the you know what's ha- what's happened before or you know it it, it was just and it, I would have been I would have been a little happier if Spectre had almost ignored Skyfall in the same way that uh, Thunderball ignored Goldfinger. You had a third film with a different villain. Fine, change it up. Different director, different vision. Yeah. Now let's now take us back to Quantum, and if that becomes Spectre, fine. But they tried to tie in Silver, and that's a mistake. Yeah, as it as it is, this film is is not bad. It's not good. It wears its production problems. It, it really is. We keep saying editing like we're some kind of technical experts. We're not suggesting that at all. But when the when the editing not only draws this much attention to itself, but actually gets in the way of the story being told, you've got a problem. But you've got a fantastic Bond at the absolute peak of his powers at this point. And some lovely visuals, uh, really great. I've only realised watching Spectre again in the last few days. I'm actually missing Judy Dench now. Um, I really wanted it to go back to a male M, not because I've got any problem with him having a female boss, but I loved Bernard Lee so much that anything that would echo that, I'd love. But going back to this again, it's yeah, I really miss Judy Dench. Well, the the problem you have is Spectre wasn't that good. So, you know, it kind of 
almost by associating kind of waste way. I still think Wayfinds is a good M, a good choice. Yeah, I do, but I, I I'm not. I was kind of sold on first viewing. It's funny, Chris. I'm slowly coming to rate it. Where is your way of thinking? Be interested when we get to Spectre because. I know there are people out there on the internet have misunderstood what we've had to say about it, and, we, and I will explain that when we get there. But there's no doubt I'm coming in your direction because you started off saying you weren't that impressed by his performance, and I was like, "Well, where?" And I watch it again now, and I'm like, "Yeah, I really miss Judy Dench." Yeah, like, I, yeah, I think I think probably Judy Dench probably up there with, should we say, with Bernard Lee, really? You know, as as um, and you know, again, it's like a little. Little nods of like, yeah, I'm a hard ass, but yeah, I kind of care as well. That kind of like makes it more, more more meaningful, more empowering. You know, the the whole like chewing bond the new one, but then a little bit like come back alive or that kind of or, or little like I you know or stuff the CIA. I don't care, he's my fucking agent. You know, I trust him. You know, more than like more than like whatever. It, it just feels like a bit of a hole at the center of that film. Yeah. Um, but then maybe maybe the problem is you've got him arguing the you know, his own existence and he's barely been there enough time to establish himself. Mm. Um, But yeah, in terms of this film, you've got a very good central performance. I think the equal of Casino Royale as a performance. M's great in it. Uh, Really nice to have be introduced to Tanner. I've liked Rory Kinnear in the role ever since. And take some editing out of it and take another pass or two at the script you could have had an, actually a really great Bond film. What you've got, I think, is sort of a slightly failed experiment, but it's not terrible. It's nowhere near as bad as it seemed to me opening night 2008. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I've got a feeling this will, you know, at least for me, this will, oh, this this does grow on rewatches. It, you know, it's, it, it's, it has grown on rewatches. However, I don't think Spectre will. I mean, I've not really, I've not watched it since cinema. But I've got I've got the feeling that that's just gonna just decline in expectations. I don't know how everyone else feels. Uh, but there you go, uh, Becca. Where, what are your final thoughts? Um, we've pretty much said it all, really. Um, it's kind of it's, it, it was a grower. I mean, sort of coming out of it, I was like, yeah, don't know about that. But it's a grower, not a shower. It's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a lover, not a fighter. It becomes a red. No, that's it. I mean, like going back to you were just discussing about M as well. I do think that's the, that's the one good thing Mark Foster thought. You know, because he he saw he saw Casino Royale and thought, oh, she doesn't really have much to do in this movie. And now more, she you know she comes to the fore um, a lot more. So it's good that she's got you know more um, more enhanced role there. But um, yeah, it kind of really it really was as a product of its time. Really, it suffered because of the strike, and boy did it suffer. Um, I mean, Craig is, is phenomenal throughout, um, and I I, I don't mind Olga Kurylenko as Camille. Um, but everything else just kind of falls to pieces, really. Um, and it's a great shame. And the way that um, Spectre does like massive retconning, and that, that's the reason why you don't see green in the title sequence. They just completely, just completely gloss over this film, forgets about it entirely. Um, it's a great shame, really. But um, hey ho, just means we have got Skyfall to look forward to. And you know, Chris is Chris has always been a little bit cold on Skyfall, and I'm not going to preempt what he's going to say in a couple of weeks' time. But I think broadly amongst the three of us. We'll have lots of good things to say about it. Mm, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I'll, I'll, I'll plenty say about it. The, the problem with Skyfall is, um, well, no, I won't say no. But uh, yeah, it's 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 more of things that nag at the back of my head 
that that troubled me. I mean, I think it has like a, it falls on a couple of issues for me that really re, that I really kind of object to, uh, which is a shame because I'd, I'd like everything else. So it's just the certain things like you know you know like plot and of course the kind of almost like a, a big headed arrogance to it as well. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing to say about a Bond film, but it, it, it is 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 essentially has a bit of a yeah. He, you know, oh, a, we want a small indie kitchen sink Bond film. Well, it's it, <laughs> a bit like looking for Eric, where it, he just leans over his sink and looks depressed. It's that kind of oh, like oh, we're gonna like yeah. Well, it's that kind of like oh, I'm gonna know one up. We're gonna be like really intellectual, or like the, the idea of Bond, but yet we're gonna be actually be really stupid with the plot. And no one's going to care, and that's kind of so. Aspiring filmmakers out there, if you want to impress Chris, make it dumb as fuck. Yes. <laughs> Becca, have we got any fun facts? I do. I got five fun facts for this. Yes. Fun, 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 fun. Come. I'm prepared to be. Should give them more warning though, because our listeners haven't started stroking. Oh, Carry on. Do, do I have to Pre- wait? Or? Pre- oh no, they can pause it while they get themselves um, ready. Pre- prepare for funnage. Prepare for funnage. Funnage. Folks. Now service you all. Sound right. I feel quite disappointed by these, by these facts. You know, they're not as fun as I think they are when I start. I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be quite fun. Yeah, you're our, you're, our listenership didn't hear that. They're still thinking about being serviced by you. <laughs> In your own time, Becca. This is why I'm single. Oh. Why? Because people don't want you after you've serviced our. Any, any, any. Any single uh, male listeners out there, Becca's available, so you know, send your oh, emails in to That's a good point. We have had an email, isn't it? I'll just get the screen up. We'll cut this bit out, but I'll just get I'll get the email from it. Alright, okay. Um but yeah, so basically, uh, you know we take turns being desperate and it's uh, Becca's turn, so please write in. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no fun facts this week, folks, are uh, during production, they used a grand total of nine DBSs during the chase scene um, in the quarry at the pre-title sequence. Do you remember, Becca? T- do you remember how many you told us they used in Casino Royale? Uh, I have it written down. Yeah, I think I lied. It was more, wasn't it? It was a lot more than that. Yeah. Okay, so right, Let's so see. nine, nine. That's that does seem a lot for quite a short ch- short chase. But they were constantly being refitted and reused throughout that sequence, right. and they managed to wreck a total of fourteen cars. Anyway, this movie is all about the action. Um, is, that, and... is, that, is that your second fact? <laughs> no, I've got more. Your second, your, this film's all about the action. <laughs> fact. <That's... laughs> well, it is a fact, because you've got, in this movie, one Bond movie, you've got a car chase, boat chase, foot chase, and a plane chase, so you've got all the action sequences. Yeah, it's almost like he tried to incorporate all four elements. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Earth, wind, air, fire, water. Ethan. I think that one qualifies. That's fun, folks! <laughs> My next fun fact is obviously... Did, did, um, did he actually explain why he wants to incorporate all the elements in the action scenes? Was that actually, no, was there actual reason no, for it? Because uh, he's an artist. Okay. He's, a very, he's a very mystical person. Mystical? Yeah, he's mystical. mystical. He's very in tune with his chakras, you know. So anyway, Becca's already announced the next fact is fun. 
Shall we investigate? Becca? Fun fact. Well, director Mark Foster is obviously well connected. And we've got a cameo. Oh, he's in two. the mafia. <laughs> he is. He's, he's connected up to the gazoo. Up to where? <laughs> he's in the mafia through his bum? <laughs> Carry on. What's the fact? I think you're making these facts more fun than they need to be. <laughs> um, no, you've got, you've got cameos we'll, from... We'll limit um, the fun in future, folks. <laughs> No, you've got a lot of interesting, well, a few interesting cameos in this movie. Um, Mexican directors Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro as well. They feature in, as voices. They lend their voices to the movie. Have cameo ever cameoed in a film? I don't know. I just wondered. I never heard of them. Who are they? Word Up from the 80s. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Talking of things falling flat on their fucking face. Anyway, <laughs> Becca, what's the next fact? <laughs> Um, okay, this is an actual fact. An actual um, fact? An actual fact. <laughs> is that it... makes me doubt the previous facts, though. <laughs> previous facts are fake. This is an actual fact. Okay. Is it fun, though? No, um... Is it fun? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's not very fun. It's not fun? No. This, this folks, is a serious, okay. serious fact. Okay. Hang on, so I've just suddenly uh, recognised this now. When people say an actual fact, doesn't that kind of like... Uh... Actual fact, Jack. Doesn't isn't isn't the idea of fact meant to be well? It's actual, actual anyway. So <laughs> why does he need to say clarify a fact is actual? It's an actual fact. What, are, just, you, what are you pointing out, Chris? Very shrewdly, is most people are fucking bellend. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to the somber facts. Part of the film was shot in the Atacama Desert in Chile, and that's actually the driest point on Earth. Is, is that because quantum has taken all the water away? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not where have they taken it, it's when have they taken it. And why? Mm. Well, I guess we'll never know, because they never explained it, Inspector. So. Okay. No, <laughs> I didn't bother what, with Was it. there any more? No, they drank it all. No, was there any more factions? <laughs> or... No, were there any more water? <laughs> Are there any more? No, they drank, they drank all of it. Fucking hell. <laughs> That's fun, right. folks. That's fun, folks! <laughs> Obviously, next year we might even do a meetup where you can all come and drink egg whites with us. <laughs> anyway, were there any more facts, Becca? Um, no, that's it for now. Yeah. But we did get an email this week, folks. We did! And it, and it, and it asks a question of us. Oh, it does. So it's from James Jarman. Hello, James. He says, hi, Chris, Beck and Dave. I've got a suggestion for the topic when you rank the Bond movies in your upcoming podcast. I think it would be cool to hear what your favourite Bond posters are. I think there have been some truly great posters in the past, from Connery to Moore's era. Can I, just say, can I just say, before you go any further with that, Becca, James, you have a really fucking bizarre attitude of what's cool. But anyway, <laughs> carry on. I think he's onto something, you know. But he thinks we're cool sitting talking about posters. <laughs> But anyway, James goes on to say, Unfortunately, from License to Kill onwards, they are just boring Photoshop posters without the imagination or flair of the originals. I think my personal favourite is the Moonraker teaser poster with Bond in his tux and spacesuit flying over the Earth. Yeah. As pictured in the email, but you can't see that. But anyway, well, he I've says, seen the email, and with respect, James, that's bollocks. You're wrong. <laughs> well, like, take, for example, the new the Star Wars movie, Force Awakens, that came out. That, that poster was very much in the style of the traditional like, hand-drawn posters of the sort of 70s and 80s. Um... And I'm, I'm, I think I'm with James in this one. Um, I much prefer the kind of like the more artistic um, places rather than just the CGI mashups of, of what we get today. Like hand-drawn so. pictures of Roger Moore. 
Well, I mean, it, for my part, I think they actually came out of the gate with some of the best ones. I, I really like, I really like Doctor No. I like From Russia with Love much, much more. The landscape. I've got that one in my hanging that's, on my wall. That's in my room. fantastic. So that's probably my favourite. The, the From Russia with Love one. Although I really, I like Thunderballs as well. Um, both of them actually. The one where he's kind of on the rocket, and also the one where he's sort of on his knees with the harpoon. I really also like of the later ones. I kind of like for your eyes only. Just the idea of him firing his gun in completely the wrong direction, but it is Roger Moore um, through the woman's legs. But I also really, really like the Living Daylights. So I think they're my favourite few. Okay, I'm just having a look now. So Becky, you might as well answer. James, if you're listening, come back to us and tell well, us. He's written to the podcast. I would hope he's fucking listening to it. I'm not going to do a separate fucking email to him. If he can't be asked to listen to the fucking thing. Okay. Um, Hello, I, Chris. I, I, I have an answer what my uh, my least favourite uh, poster is. That's uh, Skyfall. I think that's kind of lazy. Um, Staying on his back. Spectre was quite lazy, actually. The, the one sheet of literally the teaser poster of just Daniel Craig standing there. That yeah. was very boring. Yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree that it's just like, yeah. Um, I, I've got a kind of a thought, like, Dave's not going to like this. I've got a little bit of a, a soft spot for ever since I posted the Octopussy review because I found the poster and it literally has like... Oh, where right, he's covered with all the legs? Well, no, basically right at the all top. The yeah, right, the limbs, yeah, right right, at the top, he's he's literally punching uh, the bad guy off, off, the, off the plane. Like, literally standing and punching him off the plane. And, and that, that I just thought was amazing. Um... View to Kill is quite striking. Um, I do like, you know, obviously I'm going to say, no, actually, no, I'm not going to say License to Kill. Uh, no, License to Kills isn't good. They did start with a hand-drawn one. But there was a, the studio overruled them. The original idea was much better. Right, what's the original idea? Uh, I knew you were going to ask that, and I don't actually remember the details. Oh. I just remember seeing an alternate version of it that was much, much more interesting, and the studio went for the most generic thing possible. Uh, yeah, so a few to kill. Um, I do. I would like to say on your Majesty, just because he's got lazy and just in a skein on a tux holding a gun very cheesily. <laughs> uh, I'm not actually. I love Majesties, and I think that's been clear all the way through this series. Not that fond of the poster, to be honest with you. But same kind of go for uh, You Only Live Twice, where, where Sean Connery's like flying a helicopter while doing the gun pose. Um, but. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I know Golden Eye is pretty decent. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go for a bit of Live and Let Die because why the fuck not? There we are. That's my answer. <laughs> there you go. So Live and Let Die for for Chris. For me, if I had to choose one, it would be From Russia with Love, Becca. Yeah, I'm gonna say From Russia with Love on that one as well. So the classical, I, I can't remember for life with the artist, unfortunately. But the one we've got. Bond posing with what looks like the Illuminati. I was about got... to give you a name, then I realised it was the wrong name. I was going to give you Drew Struzan, who does the Star Wars ones. W- was he even born? I don't think so. By the way, he's retired now, so I think he was born. Oh, God. Sorry. He did um, Indiana Jones posters as well, didn't he? Oh, yeah, and they're great too. We ought to talk about Indiana Jones sometimes. Yeah, uh, sometime soon, I think. Coming soon. But no, I would agree from Russia with Love is probably my famous, famous, my favourite Bond movie poster. So thanks for your email, James. Hope that clears it up. Yeah, thanks, James. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Well, if you are emails. listening, of course. <laughs> yeah, if you are. Hmm. <laughs> We'd expect. Not quite sure about that one. Yeah. Rebecca <laughs> wanted to write back to you while we were talking to you on the show. <laughs> <laughs>
dear James. Chris, we've uh, yeah, I think we've given James more time than he deserves, to be honest. There. Ah. <laughs> oh no, no. Thanks for writing in. We were really it. grateful for the email. We didn't want to. Um, we well, I didn't want to throw it in with the rankings just because the rankings will be about the film, but it's an interesting topic. And uh, the thing is, uh, certainly, you're absolutely right. Right the way through to a view to a kill, and arguably the living daylights as well. This series had some fantastic artwork. It's a shame it doesn't make posts like that anymore. I mean, like, now it's just basically just Bond with a gun. There's so much more, like, if, if on all the different Bond communities on Facebook, um, that there's, there's much better fan art out there that's, that's you know, that's produced that easily could better the real thing. I will give a, a shout-out to uh, the Casino Royale one, with the one, well, not not the one that's used on the, the DVD. The teaser one where he's looking down at the table. Where, yeah, where he's on the table with chips and amber with a gun just out of the side. It's like... Uh, Craig Steely eyes, yeah, that I like. But the the one where he's I mean, just Chris, walking can away. Can you imagine if you've been getting a hand job from Robert Darby at the time? <laughs> Chris would. Chris I, I, would I, I, I I like to think Robert Darby's actually under the table. <laughs> Is his good luck charm? <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, <laughs> what's next, Becca? <laughs> yeah, Chris wants to sign off now and have a good hard fucking think about that. <laughs> anyway, we will return with Skyfall. He's got your gears and tiny trunks Danger to dent, she's furious with him He's gone completely out to lunch The quantum of solace solace. I don't know what that means What does it mean? He's having flashbacks in black and white No more raised eyebrows, no more quips He's got the stunt team from the Bond films And lots of product sponsorship The Sultan of the Sultan of Qualis Did I get it confused? I got it mixed up He's nearly dead, no really nearly It's much more pretty than before No silly gadgets, just looks more fighting Oh. 